my fellow Westorians. It's another Sunday. It's another Valar Reredis. This time brought to you by Sean's humming accompaniment of our very hummable theme song. I can't blame him. I mean, I was humming it too. It's a great song. Joey Townsend really uh, really nailed it right in that song. You're really <laughs> humble about how great of a song it is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not like I wrote it. If I did, I'd be even less humble about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, it is the conclusion of the Mystery Night. We have one episode here to wrap up the Mystery Night. Then we'll have another episode next week to wrap up all of Dunkin' Egg. We'll discuss them as a whole. That's going to be fun. But let's see what today brings us, my fellow Westorians. And what are you imbibing on this Sunday, Sean? What is what is in your cup? We all This is... Know. A mix I haven't done before. There's a pina colada naked drink huh. that, of course, I mix with Mountain Dew. I didn't add a third thing in there because I didn't want to, wasn't sure how this is going to go, but man, it's great. Ugh. Everyone should do this. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> you should get that one caught out in the rain and make it a, I can't think of that dude's name. Who wrote that song? Rufus pina colada Sewell? song? Sewell? No. <laughs> no, that's an actor. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like... Or maybe, I guess. But. I don't like pina coladas or getting caught in the rain or any of the stuff <laughs> in that song. I kind of like yoga, but but I don't have half a brain. I've only got about a third. But it's all, <laughs> it's all focused on A Song of Ice and Rupert Fire. Rupert Holmes. So. Rupert Holmes. Okay, yeah. Rupert Holmes, boy. Hmm. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And Sean, speaking of... uh, Well, not speaking of, but let's transitioning (laughs) to... You've been doing some short videos on your Dancing Sean channel on YouTube, uh, uh, movies, uh, reviews, and you've got some new ones out just recently. So why don't you uh, tell us about that real quick? Yeah, I did sort of a sci-fi theme, mostly just because I got a Star Wars and a contact poster. Mm, you got a contact <laughs> Having a background. Yeah. Maybe Dune's coming out. I don't know. I, I, I want to get a variety of different movies done and trying to do more sort of classic or well-known movies for people who haven't seen them or maybe to give perspective for the way I'm doing reviews. You could watch reviews I've done of movies you've seen and then watch ones you haven't seen, you know, have an idea of my format or tell me how well I'm doing it presenting the movies. And I said reviews are more like previews because I'm trying to do one minute long non-spoilers. Yeah. Just to give you an idea, you know, what what kind of theme the movie is, what kind of tone it has, you know, not without talking about 
what happens in the plot, you know? And can you guys imagine, think about Sean on the podcast. Can you think of him getting something said in one minute? (laughs) (laughs) I have to talk fast sometimes. It's hard. It's hard to get all that information in a woman. He doesn't ever say, does that make sense? Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't think I I do. do. I don't think I have time for that. (laughs) You don't have time for that. It's also also not interactive. Yeah, no, you're just, you're you're explaining. Yeah, yeah, you do a good job. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's very solid. I think you should do... David Lynch, Dune, Sean, and then do the new Dune. <laughs> Compare uh, the two. <laughs> maybe I, I could. So far, I'm trying to do movies that I think of positively. Um, so, <laughs> man, that original Dune, like I, I, I can find some silver linings, I guess. But woof, It's entertaining, I I, just not in the way it, it expected to be. It, it meant to be, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. some people really <laughs> like it, so no shade to them. You know, I'm not going to tell anyone else what to like, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. It is a little... It just, Even it's people just so that cheesy. like it have got to admit some of the awkwardness that's yeah. in there. Yeah. It's got too much, say, the 80s in it, maybe. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're here to It'll take me more than a minute to talk about Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's more than a minute's worth of things yeah. to say about that yeah. one. I did do The Matrix. There's a new Matrix coming out, the original Matrix, and I did uh, Aliens. Uh, thanks to Nina for her invaluable assistance on preparing this episode. Example of a recent blog post over on Good Queen Alley with one L.tumblr.com is a brief analysis of why Magor, the cruel, went with a Septon marriage rather than trying to go another direction, given that he was trying to marry multiple people. Uh, If you want to join the discussion for, well, Dunkin' Eggs wrapping up, but for future projects, future episodes, and other stuff that we've got going on, feel free to do so. You can join us over at Discord, on our Facebook group. You can talk to us on Twitter. You can talk to us through email. Lots of different ways to do that. Uh, our Flick group is still kind of acting up. We'll keep updates on that. But I have been only able to connect to it um, about once out of every 10 attempts, which is pretty... Uh, not great. Not great. Not great at all. Thanks to our patrons. You guys are doing wonderful work keeping the lights on over here, enabling us to put lots of effort into these projects, these episodes. With that in mind, after the wrap-up episode, we'll be taking a few months of focusing on our scripted content Valerie Redis will return in January for The World of Ice and Fire. That'll be a lot of fun. In the meantime, like I said, we'll have the occasional live stream and several scripted episodes. We have, uh, you can join our social media to get more uh, specific information on timing and schedule, or just keep your feeds open and you'll see the episodes when they pop. Keep it the simple way. Well, like I said, we'll be wrapping things up. But Sean, you have something you meant to bring up last time. So why don't we start with that? Yeah, there was a little bit there, little interaction between Dunk and Glendon Ball that I forgot to, to take note of. Okay. Glendon told Dunk, My father was once promised a place amongst the King's Guard. I mean to claim the white cloak that he never got to wear. And Dunk thinks, You have just as much chance of wearing a white cloak as I do. Dunk almost said. Uh, and I, we might have even brought this up, but I was just we, thinking... We brought it up probably, in a different way, not this particular yeah, quote. Yeah. Strong foreshadowing that Ball probably will, at least possibly will, get on the Kingsguard. Yeah. And I thought, because at the end of here, uh, one of those two Kingsguard that had a very positive interaction with Dunk and the Hedge Knight. Yeah, Roland Craycall. Uh, yeah. Craycall. And, and interacts with Dunk here again. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, we, we talked about, you know, how it was 
I don't know if out of place is quite the right word, but, you know, a pleasant, how positively those two Kingsguard interacted with Dunk in the Hedge Knight. Yeah. Where uh, it seemed like most people treated Dunk kind of as, you know, suspiciously, you know, and Dunk kind of didn't expect people to, yeah, to think much of him, but they instantly accepted him as a knight. It would have been not surprising in any way if they're like, who are you? Get out of here. Don't talk to us. That would be normal. But instead, they're like, hey, how's it going, sir? You know? So I wonder if they maybe had some connection to Hedge Knights, some appreciation of the common folk, you know, that maybe Dunk and Glendon would also have as Kingsguards. Maybe, maybe. You know? Yeah. Well, the Cray Calls are a pretty big house, so he's not a hedge knight. He couldn't have been a hedge knight. In fact, Jamie Lannister himself was a squire to, I think it was at Ambrose Cray Call. And uh, so that would be not Roland's descendant, obviously being a Kingsguard knight, but uh, yeah. but his ancestor. But maybe if he had squired to a hedge knight or had some interaction, some man-at-arms that had trained him well, you know, who, who knows? But uh, yeah. It really is also um, a statement on this is a time when the Kingsguard were, were decent people. They were the image, the picture of knightly courtesy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. But uh, really, in addition really, to all that... Just, I just want to say real quick, Sean, I really appreciate mm-hmm. your um, thought of Glendon in the Kingsguard. Yeah. Egg, oh, cool. Egg really, you know, seemed to respect him after this. So I could see Egg doing that. And that, by the yeah. way, increases the chances, at least the way I figure it, and I think a lot of y'all would agree, that he does continue to travel with them. Uh, he does go north with them or whatever. Like, Egg would need to get to know him a little better. I mean, maybe they just encounter him again one day. That would work, too. Yeah. He could just, you know, he's a great jouster. The guy, maybe he's just going to become a famous jou- tournament knight or something like that. Like, yep, he won another tournament. That's how they keep tabs on him or something like that. So the title of the, you know, the series could then be The Tales of Dunk, Ball, and Egg. <laughs> The egg eggs roll not quite as well as balls. You teach them how to be less oval. The <laughs> ball and dunk could get a, a little spinoff. Be a basketball series. <laughs> a spinoff. Oh no, a ball. <laughs> That's terribly great. Clarification: Jamie squired yeah. for a Sumner. Sumner Cray call. Yeah, I said I was like, no. Ambrose is the current guy. Sumner. Ambrose Butterwell. Yeah, I'm like getting that name across. Sumner. That is cool. Yeah, Sumner is, so, is over. It's time for Wintner. <laughs> 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 so assuming that it, that some of these speculations do come to fruition if you push much farther forward Glendon might perish in a ball of fire <laughs> along with a Duncan Egg yeah he might die somewhere else too that's <laughs> true like it's it, our predictions from other episodes is that yeah it seems like the whole Kingsguard was wiped out um, after all they picked a new Lord Commander and he was a young guy so like he wasn't even in the Kingsguard before so it seems like they had to start fresh. Like when you have a new guy and he's the new Lord Commander, they didn't promote from within. There may not have been a within to promote from. So, yeah, yeah. I want to say, um, Nina had a thought on Donald, the other okay. Kingsguard Knight. Sure. Um, that per George, Donald of Duskendale is not a Darklin, but it's unclear what his background is. So you could potentially say that he is Clearly of a, you know, a slightly uh, lesser cast. Yeah, actually. that's a great like, he's point. He's not a hedge knight per se, but he's not a great lord. He's just of Duskendale, which means, yeah, it doesn't have like a house name or anything like that, which that says a oh, lot. Oh, kitty meow. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe he and Roland Krakow had a relationship similar to Duncan Egg or Duncan Ball. You know, may, yeah, maybe, maybe, you never know. maybe he saw this kind of unnamed 
lowborn character do really well and he had to rethink his opinions you know yeah, and now he so and he takes that to heart and treats dunk with respect someone who's had the same eye-opening experience that egg is happening by traveling around you know yeah. outside of the social class he was born into by the way there is you talk about them having a relationship there is a theory that donald and roland craig call were, were in a relationship like at relation like lovers yeah, relationship or whatever. Yeah. specifically yeah. yeah it could be could be Sticking with this topic a little farther, we were, I was planning on talking about this at the end, but we may as well talk about it now. The end is so abrupt, right? There isn't any sort of send-off. There isn't any, like, let's walk, let's, you know, head out on the road again. And what that does is it means Dunk doesn't have a lot of time to think about what's just happened. He just reacts. And one of the things I find really interesting is it doesn't give... This might be intentional on George's part because he's revealed, Dunk is told that... You know, an egg did hatch after all. He, you know, he's like, yeah, Blood Raven says, yeah, it's not surprising that the occasional Blackfire has dragon dreams or has dreams of the future. So he's admitting that that was that Damon really did have prophetic dreams. Not that we didn't know that, but Dunk is told that, right? That's really important that it's verified and it's proven because he, Blood Raven says, yeah, he just got the color of the egg wrong or whatever. An egg did hatch. He just got the wrong dragon or what have you or the wrong color. So that, in a sense, does that not validate some of the other dreams Damon have, which includes the dream of Dunk being in the Kingsguard? Now, we know that. We're not all here, oh my God, Dunk's going to join the Kingsguard. No, we of course know that's going to happen. But Dunk might have that realization. He might be like, holy crap, if that dream was true about the egg, then am I going to be in the Kingsguard? He may just never realize that he, that he may not put those two dots together. But that's one of the reasons I think the story ends abruptly. He doesn't have time. We're, we're left wondering if he's going to, if that's going to occur to him or not. So I think that's pretty cool. You, you've sparked several thoughts in me, a couple of which I also plan on talking about later, but a couple new ones. Go for it. Uh, I probably have already lost at least one of them. <laughs> I, I was going to say that uh, one, I, I had the thought that when Dunk does get onto the Kingsguard, Will he reflect back to, wait a minute, that Fiddler guy, he predicted this. Yeah. And he also said an egg was going to hatch. Maybe an egg will hatch. And that might even encourage him, especially if Damon is still around and he or Egg or whoever are talking to him about other dreams. If other dreams also... I could see the case building. It might not be so crazy for Egg to try to hatch a dragon egg. Does that make sense? I could see all these different things throughout their lives keep pushing him towards it, you know? Yeah, they're magical, like, uh, proof of, of concept, yeah. these magical ideas. Like, well, if that was true, then, yeah, if he starts having dreams or something like that, his brothers, you know, Eamon said all his brothers dreamt of dragons. So, you know, Egg's one of his brothers. Now, by the way, the, the line when uh, Blood Raven says that an egg did hatch, I, I took that to mean, I, th I thought he was talking about Aegon. I thought that was, the Aegon was like, Revealing himself no, he was. at the tournament. He was, he was talking was about like, that. Yeah. That's why he's saying he okay. got the color wrong. Because it was a, you know, a red. Oh, red instead of black. Of black. I see yeah, what you're yeah. saying. Well, you never, it's an interesting question of what Blood Raven knows at this point. Has he started having dreams about the others? Has he, you know, has he been contacted by the way Bran was contacted by him? It's really kind of, we don't know. We have really very little all we have is guesswork there. And that's one of the things we get into in our Blood Raven focused episodes. So, a better place for that than here, where there's just bits and pieces rather than whole lots of him. So, this is, uh, this is kind of good timing here. Just as Damon's real identity is revealed to Dunk, 
which we covered at the end of last time, the egg's theft is discovered and the conspirators are scrambling to deal with it. And like, what do we do? The egg is gone. And it, it actually kind of works out pretty well for the jousting because it interrupts <laughs> what's about to happen. And we have this quote from the accusation. And suddenly, Lord Peak himself was storming across the muddy field to climb the steps to the Herald's platform, his cloak flapping behind him. We are betrayed, he cried. Blood Raven has a spy among us. The dragon's egg is stolen. Actually, Blood Raven has several spies amongst you, and he himself is amongst you. But yeah, he did <laughs> steal the dragon's egg. So why not just let it be that then? He's like, he's got to blame it on Glendon Ball, which is kind of odd to me. It's a, it, Partly they are trying to get rid of him because he's winning and they can't have him win. Yet it backfires so horribly because he ends up fighting the guy they don't want him to fight in a trial by combat. <laughs> They're like, oh, don't fight Glendon Ball. And he's like, I will fight you in a trial. Like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, if they had been lucky, it would have backfired in some different way, which there was plenty of potential for. Like, if anyone wants to see the body of the dead guards, supposedly, like, there's so many things. So why can't, he's like, he's already said Blood Ravens has a spy. I'm like, why not just, okay, the egg was stolen by Blood Raven. Like, you're yeah. already admitting the egg is stolen, but he's trying to, their play here is, oh, we're going to recover it or pretend we've recovered it so that they'll be able to keep going. Because if they think the egg is entirely gone, well, then, well, that brings us to the next point. If the egg was stolen by Glendon, why is he still there? <laughs> Which he's, you know, why didn't he leave? Not only is there, does he have the prize, there's nothing to win. <laughs> it's like the thing to win is now not winnable because <laughs> it's gone. So, yeah, it's a really, it's fittingly from this batch of conspirators who have not exactly shown that they're very good at this. There's all sorts of holes in this rushed ill-considered accusation. Like I said, Glendon's winning. He's been winning in sight of everyone. When could he have snuck off to do this? It's not very feasible. They claim he killed two men with, like, without making any noise. I mean, if someone had been like, "Bring, where are the bodies? You know, that would have... Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have the motivation or the means, and there's no evidence. <laughs> like, like every, but it, and and it's, it's a really good example of people hearing what they want to believe. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Like everyone in the audience is already here to promote Damon. Yeah. And it doesn't like Glendon. So it's it's an easy, I don't know if that's the right. Scapegoat to swallow. Yeah, scapegoating. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. scapegoat. You're right. But if you were, if, if in a movie, we were witnessing, instead of just Dunk POV, we were seeing more omniscient presentation and we saw these conspirators coming up with this idea it's like no you know <laughs> like don't do it yeah, like, how is that gonna what are they thinking you know <laughs> yeah it's really it, it's both absurd but also absurd in a very believable way we've all seen like people just die on you know hills of arguments or believe believing things that are just absurd to believe the evidence is completely against it the evidence counter evidence is really strong but they just it's what they want to believe. Like you said, that's a big part of it. And also once people dig their heels in, sometimes there's just no going back. Yeah. Once there's enough momentum, right? Momentum. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of momentum. Like you said, it's really, this is the part of the plan that works or that gives it a chance to succeed. It's a bad accusation, but the power of everyone hates that guy is really strong. Everyone hates Glendon. They are like, he's made new enemies just by winning. 
he was hated when he arrived, and he's more hated now. So that's the part of this that's a little bit clever. But it's also very much just what a bully would do. So it's not, it's like the standard bully play. Pick the guy everyone hates and blame it on him. Perfect scapegoat. But it's also selfish and destructive because, again, like this is a really talented knight. <laughs> this guy's kicking butt at a time when they're in need of warriors who are good at kicking butt and they're just like turning on him. Like this guy who's all about the cause, who is, as he says, willing to die for him. And they're instead, they're turning him into a scapegoat. It's a really. Uh, Damon himself has even tried to prop Glendon yeah, up, right? He knew. Like, he understood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really just kind of sad. <laughs> And Dunk, another moment where he's actually kind of smart. He's insightful enough to realize, ooh, they could have made me the scapegoat. He's in a similar position. Like, people don't really like me. Like, London was even more of a target. But Dunk might have worked better as a target because, well, (laughs) if he had jousted, he might have lost his childlike (laughs) combat. (laughs) But they didn't see that coming. They did not see Damon being like, all right, we're going to joust to see who's guilty. Like, Peak did not see that coming at all. Like, did not, no one predicted that. Like, frankly, I don't think many people would have. That's not, that at least I don't fault Peak on. I fault him for so many other things, but yeah. But noticing that, you know, Glendon has no friends and that everyone wants this Damon thing to work out, you're right. There's so many reasons for them to believe the lie, even if it's a pretty bad lie. So, talking about the joust real quick, I wanted to ask a question so that you know how someone laughs about the brown dragon? Yeah. Do you think Bloodraven had a plant there that yelled that? Ooh. Ooh maybe. Good call. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. They're trying to... He sees what they're doing. They're trying to make this guy famous, make it like draw out his charisma, get people inspired. So you gotta so, undermine that. Yeah, doing the opposite. Because it was really... Like, that's really effective. People laughed their butts off. Like, the, I, I mean, I laughed. was clever. They were quick on the draw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty smart. Especially the the deeper we get into this, the more likely it is for Blood Raven to have more agents in the vicinity. Does that make sense? Like it might take a couple days to get thousands of soldiers amassed outside the mm. city walls, but two or three, you know, centuries on horseback could get there pretty quick, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's fun. Or, or people who are already in place it Blood Raven just has to give the or signal, all right, dwarves. amp it up a little yeah, bit. You know? For example. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, too, to think about what we're doing here. With Blood Raven, we've seen how clever he is, how good he is, how smart he is. So we're just like theorizing on other ways he might have been so smart that people may not have noticed. You know, like maybe that was him. Maybe that was him. Well, the other guys were just like, this other dumb thing they did. <laughs> they clearly did this dumb thing because, like, well, you expect dumb things from people doing dumb things, and you expect yeah. smart. Obviously, it's not always quite so simple, but yep. Let's be aware of our patterns, and yep, they check out. They check out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing about what's funny about Dunk, he realizes, yeah, I don't have a lot of friends here. So that's why I could have made a good scapegoat. Though, as we'll see shortly, he does have one very, very important friend. Somebody who says, who are you? A friend. That's coming up here shortly to help him when he helps him with his wound. And that wound he receives in the next scene. Nina writes, it's funny that as Glendon is being falsely accused of stealing the dragon egg, so Alan is accusing Dunk of trying to steal the dragon, (laughs) Damon himself. Just as the accusation against Glendon, Glendon is pretty ridiculous given how easy an alibi he had, right? So is this accusation against Dunk pretty ridiculous. Dunk isn't even gay. 
Like he's not, <laughs> he made no, he's not trying to get with Damon. He was clearly like, no, I'm not interested. He's like, no, I'm uncomfortable. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he's clearly not the instigator here at all. So Cockshaw is just killing him to get him out of the way, not because he's actually making an effort to steal Damon. Uh, so he's, you know, being a little whiny about it. But paranoid. Yeah, maybe. a little paranoid about it. Now, it's sort of like Peak. It's smart. The one thing Peak did well in terms of accusing Glendon was picking a target that people wouldn't back up the lie. Like, people aren't going to question the lies about Glendon. It still backfired for other reasons. But people weren't like, well, why was he over here? And why was he, why would he steal the egg? Like, those, no one, no one cared to ask those questions, even though those are good questions because of who the target was. But here, Cockshaw's one smart thing is he makes his move at the right time, right when everyone's distracted and Dunk is paying attention to the, this accusation. That was a pretty smart time for it. But everything after that is pretty dumb. <laughs> he, he fits in well with these conspirators. He should have just stabbed Dunk right? Uh, the moment they were out of the way. Like, this whole get-in-the-well plan is pretty bad. Like, he's gonna fight back rather than just meekly die, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe Dunk might have gone through the process of, like, I can jump in there without dying. Like, maybe I can make the fall and I won't drown. I can hold to the edge. And then Dunk will just be out of the way till they fix these other problems. And maybe, But even if somehow he thought if you really thought through all that, right? Yeah. It seems like you would have thought through some other stuff. <laughs> and do you, I don't think he ahead. could have gotten out of that well. Yeah, maybe not. Like, even if someone someone might have been able to pull, well, throw a rope well, down and save him. Like, he's yelling for help he later. A rope down, I feel like the rope could break. I feel like you have to have <laughs> yeah. so many people to grab him. Like, how many men have yeah. to come? Well, he said he can't swim, too. Yeah, so he, like the, yeah. he might not have been yeah, able to stay afloat. seems like he would die. But on top of all that... He starts monologuing. Yeah, he starts monologuing. You loved monologuing. It's like he, he, it's like he wants to justify why he's coming. It's like, see, I have a good yeah. reason to kill you. It's like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> and it literally, it's given Dunk the time to piece together a plan to find that loose rock, the yeah. stone or whatever. To yeah. realize what to do. He's like, oh, I guess I got to just try to take you unarmed versus knife here. And well... He's like, I turn around and I'll cut your kidney. He's like, well, you should have just done that. Yeah. <laughs> you should have just you cut mean? his kidney and then that well, would have been it. And then you could have just picked, you could have just rolled the body into the well. Or just but... walked away and people were like, damn, someone stabbed this guy. Like, yeah, oh well. Yeah, I guess people aren't going to care that much. Yeah, you're like, trying to hide yeah. your murder. Yeah. Because, say, Damon, <laughs> your lover would care yeah, about just, this. As long as, you, as long as it's... Perhaps you dump him in the well. That's true. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to lift him, I guess, but you're right. <laughs> it's like, still, anyway, the plan's terrible. That's the bottom line here. <laughs> it's another example of if this was a movie, you'd be like, no, what? You know, like, it, it would be a classic scene when the guy's monologuing and Dunk's, like, getting a stone. It would yeah. be just like every other It's like you know, stone movie. is loosening slowly. Yeah. You know, I don't even think he yeah. needs the stone. Like, if he fails to bring the stone loose, like he smashes him in the face with it. Like he probably wouldn't yeah. his fist have probably been good enough there. Like probably. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he broke his arm with his hand. Like just snapped his wrist with his fist. You know, just bent it and broke it. So like yeah. he's really outclassing this guy in size and strength. And and Dunk thinks a bit like it's like Crocodile Dundee. Well, Crocodile Dunk D actually. He says <laughs> he's like some little toy knife. It's very similar. It's like that's not a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like Sir Lucas Inchfield, right? He's facing down someone who's, you know, he's unarmed, someone who hates him. He's wounded and unarmed, but he still, you know, bashes him and drowns him. Although I'm not technically sure if, if, 
if Long Inch drowned or died from the stab wound first. It's not really important, though. <laughs> Interesting, too. Another bit of just absurdity. Cockshaw's like, I'm going to be Damon's Lord Commander. Like, dude, you are not <laughs> up to that task. Clearly, you can't even kill an unarmed man that you, when you have a knife to its back, <laughs> you start monologuing. Like, what are you going to do when the, when the foes come to kill your king? Are you going to start monologuing at them? <laughs> oh, boy. But it does bring us to a fun parallel in the main series with Loras and Renly, right? The natural, unsuspicious proximity of the King's Guard as a cover for a forbidden relationship, kind of like Jamie and Cersei. It's a pr- mm. That part's a pretty good plan. Like you, They have a lot of reason to be around each other without anyone being suspicious of it. But, it, but it, the reason it worked for Renly and Loras is Loras really is amazing <laughs> at fighting. Like yeah. He's really awesome, but Kaksha, no. No one was questioning Loras being on the King's Guard in the first place. Right, it was like, oh yeah, that guy, absolutely. Or Jamie. Yeah. Right. This guy would be like, what? What's he doing there? <laughs> You know, by the way, I, another thought I had here, or maybe two thoughts, is it, uh, you know, one, just think about the parallels to Loras. Can Loras swim? I had that thought. <laughs> yeah. That I, might not matter, but I wonder if it'll matter to Dunk one day. It seems uh, like that's, I wonder if that's a little hint that was dropped for a future dilemma that Dunk might be in. I would say for Loras, I would be willing to guess he can swim because High Garden has a, a river right near it. Yeah, and then he was mm-hmm. in... Uh, squire in the Stormlands where there's lots of bodies of water. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I imagine if you're in Stormland, you learn how to swim. Yeah, and uh, but honestly, and Damon was ignoring him. Like, Damon wasn't that into Alan because that was part of part of the problem here. So, you know, even if he had killed Dunk, I don't know that Damon would have... That, that was like, oh, now I'm into you again? Yeah, that's not really how that works. <laughs> you know? The moment's passed. Yeah. So this part of the connection to, like, Loras and Ranley doesn't really work. Maybe if Alan Cockshaw was actually a really good warrior, then Damon might... <laughs> Looked at him and like, oh, actually, you're 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 pretty cool. But no, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, actually, Loris and Dunk have a few things in common. We've talked about you know Brienne and Dunk a lot because there's a ton in common there. These two, yeah, they're both good looking. They're about the same age. Loris was briefly Lord Commander of the Rainbow Guard. Dunk will be eventually Lord Commander of the of the White Cloak. So you know some things, some stuff there. Obviously, the orientation's different, <laughs> but uh, connection to the king long before he came king. That's another one. As well, although Renly wasn't exactly king very long, technically, we can say that. Was he ever king at all? I guess you could say no, in, in a way. Like, he <laughs> crowned himself, but he never really said, he didn't set the, seat the Iron Throne, so, or sit There's on probably the someone out there standing for Renly, but not me. Yeah, if, if Rhaenyra isn't uh, included in the history books, Renly definitely shouldn't be. Like, there's a lot of false kings that weren't included. Rhaenyra probably should have been, but. Renly, if she's not, Renly definitely doesn't belong. <laughs> um, yeah, Rhaenyra definitely should have been. She did sit seat. She literally sat. Yeah. yeah. She was literally crowned. Yeah. <laughs> so that that should be, if, if that's the standard, then there's no question. But that's another topic. Uh, so sticking with Renly and Loras, we have Olena's commentary, which was very similar. Gallant, yes, charming and very clean. He knew how to dress. He knew how to smile. He knew how to bathe. And someone got the notion that this made him fit to be king. Blood Raven, Plum Raven, says, you would be surprised to know how many lords prefer their kings brave and stupid. Yet Damon is young and dashing and looks good on a horse. Really similar comment, isn't it? Right? Like being able to rule from behind, you want them that way so you can like be a puppet ruler or get what you want from them. Or yeah, you want a guy who's big and generous and charismatic because he's going to give you what you want. Uh, so Dunk might around. qualify to be king once a, once a month. He knows how to bathe once a month. Right? <laughs> <laughs> good one, good one. 
so hey, it, it, he took two in two days at, at one point. It, uh... Yeah. <laughs> I love how Egg was just saying gas. He's like, you just bathed yesterday. <laughs> so you're a, Again? You're a royal. You should understand multiple baths, but you're also like 12. So, you know. <laughs> Another parallel here, kind of a fun one. The courtyard where Alan tries to murder Dunk. This is a good take by Nina here. Sort of reminds of the moon door. Well, it's the show's version of the moon door where it's in the floor instead of the wall because we have this well that they're trying to shove him into. And the reason it, it reminds of the moon door is because of Blood Raven with his moonstone emerges right at the end of the scene. Mm. And uh, yeah. that really adds to that. Through the rain, all he could make out was a hooded shape and a single pale white eye. It was only when the man came forward that the shattered face beneath the cowl took on the familiar features of Sir Maynard Plum, the pale eye no more than the moonstone brooch that pinned his cloak at the shoulder. As Melisandre and others use rubies, here we have a moonstone used as a symbol and a, maybe a locus, a focus, locus, focus, same, both, maybe, of power, you know, like a... We've seen gemstones used kind of that way in, in lots of fantasy types, it's, but usually it seems to be rubies, but a ruby would probably work well, given that his one eye is red. It would, <laughs> it would fit pretty nicely that way, but it would also really give it maybe. away. Yeah, too good of a clue there. And it would be really out of place for a hedge knight to have a ruby, right? Like John the Fiddler having amethysts. <laughs> it, would, it would look like that. <laughs> but, By the way, that moment, I can't help but think how well that could be portrayed on film ooh, or, or yeah. through animation. You know, that sort of blurred yeah. vision kind of see, sort of seeing Blood Raven, but then clarifying into Maynard Plum and the audience right. trying to piece together what they just saw in the same way Dunk is. It's, when is someone going to make this into a TV show? Uh, that's a really good. That's a that's a good said, Sean. You you have a very you have a cinematic eye for these things for for imagining what it would look like on screen. I definitely agree with that. No wonder you're such a movie guy. <laughs> good take. Very good. Uh, and and really, the moon has been used in a lot of brand chapters as a symbol for a variety of related things, like being watched over by Blood Raven. The moon is maybe less a symbol of Blood Raven directly and more symbol of the old gods and blood raven is their representative in terms of bran and to a lot of us so eh, six of dozen of one half a dozen of the other similar because after all a lot of it is indirect like the dire wolves howl and sing at the moon several times for example and Arya and john both have like wolf dreams where the moon is pretty prominent kind of looking down on them things like that so you don't have to interpret symbolism that way but there's also direct clues but this is less about old god's magic, this next clue, and more about the magic of light and illusion. Maybe, maybe the R'hllor stuff. I'm not really sure if you want to, what the origin is, but it's definitely different than the old gods. Here's the quote. This close, there was something queer about the cast of Sir Maynard's features. The longer Dunk looked, the less he seemed to see. I did urge you to flee, you will recall, but you esteemed your honor more than your life. An honorable death is well and good, but if the life at stake is not your own, what then? That's a really big quote. So let's break that down. Shows us it's first of all, it shows us how Blood Raven is a product and representative of not just ice and fire from a family perspective, but from a magical, supernatural perspective. Glamours and repping the old gods. There's really nothing else like him. Even John, who has ice and fire heritage, doesn't have any direct association with glamours or, or any kind of the overt fireside magic. Really, he, he all he really has is dreams and skin changing, right? Which is a lot, but it's He's not out here casting spells. He's not really, he's not even fully aware of, of his capacity as uh, Baramir uh, put in his chapter. And of course, that's still old God's side anyway, skin changing. More perhaps importantly, 
this is really similar to what Varus says to Ned down in the dungeon about, well, you esteemed your honor more than your life, but what if it's Sansa? <laughs> what if it's your daughter? You know, and he's like, oh, well, then I'll say whatever I need to say to save her, right? And that's the same thing here because this is a conversation that's transitioning or segueing to what's happened to Egg. You know, this uh, thought process reminds me a little bit, because I, I really like that concept also, the realization that however brave or honorable you are, sometimes someone else is at stake and a little bit of a tangent, but I, that, that's sort of the Superman dilemma. Like nothing could beat Superman, but what if Superman has to save someone else? Yeah, or Lois Lane is... Two people in two different places or whatever. Yeah. yeah, That's his vulnerability, if you will, is his concern for others. Yeah. That's that's very true. Yeah, and, and Dunk's a bit of a Superman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes you'll see that uh, thread uh, in a plot or a character that they don't want to care about someone else. Like the, the Night's Watch, you're not supposed to have family or kids or a state, you know, yeah. you're, you're just committed to this one group, this one mission, you know, that's a, a weakness that Dunk has that gets taken advantage of here, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Very true. And just the same thing. We see it play out right away. He would not reclaim his arms and armor through any sort of shady means. But when it comes to saving Egg, he just goes in there and says, I'll kill you if you don't give me my stuff. And now he, <laughs> yeah. he, he says this knowing that he's not going to have to do that. <laughs> he's not going to have to kill this squire because there's yeah. no way the squire is going to stand up to him. It's an empty... But if Uthor had been there... Yeah, it would have been... He would have... Who knows? Fought him better with his sword than with his lance, right? <laughs> Uthor made, would have made him prominent. Uthor probably would have figured out a way to leverage the situation in a way that didn't turn into violence, but maybe not. But Dunk Good would have point. been willing to... It's the same point, though. Dunk, Dunk was yeah. willing to toss his honor aside lightly, whereas before he was clinging tight to it because it was Egg's life, not his. And that's yeah, that's part of his honor, too. Like, he, he swore to, to protect Egg above pretty much all else. So it is consistent. Um, so with Jamie, it would be like, so many vows, you swear. <laughs> you know, I don't know which one. He's like, no, the vow to Egg is the <laughs> clearly the important one. You know, the more I think about it, that is a sort of a wisdom that Dunk has even over Ned. Hmm. Like, I, it did take Blood Raven coming to Dunk, but th Dunk didn't even realize Egg was in trouble at this point. Right, right, right? he did. When Blood Raven makes his point. And so we, are, we saw in the past too, Dunk took the blame for attacking that peasant. Yes. It, it wasn't Venice, it was me. Look, there, cut my cheek, now we're even. Like, he's willing to sacrifice his honor for the sake of the right thing or peace overall. Ned had to get put in prison, you know what I mean? It took a lot more for to for Ned to realize he needed to make the sacrifice to save his daughter. Yeah, he didn't see it coming as much. Maybe he should have, but... So, yeah. you know, I think about your argument about Dunk being knighted. That's him sacrificing his honor for, for what's greater, the greater good, which mm. is him being a knight. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, he's shown yeah. that he's willing to do that for... I think you're, I also, think you're I guess pretty we should... well convinced at point, aren't you? <sighs> I'm reluctantly convinced, <laughs> not pretty well convinced. <laughs> I still want to get in George's brain or ask him a question or something. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but it is also worth noting that let's say that Dunk was maybe on the selfish side when he first told the lie and became a knight. It's been a couple of years. I I definitely grew a lot between you know eighteen ish and twenty two ish. Hmm. So I'm gonna guess you probably grew a lot as well between thirty four and thirty six between. <laughs> 26 <laughs> and 29. <laughs> only those ages, though. Yeah, only those ages. <laughs> you were frozen in stasis the rest of the time. Part of the reason I think Blood Raven's being cagey about 
Egg is that he's like, okay, I know this guy's going to rush off and save Egg. I've got him pegged. I've got his personality pegged. That's something Bloodraven, Varus, these, these Master Whispers guys, they're experts at knowing how the chess pieces on the board are going to behave when you give them certain stimulus. And uh, Dunk is not a complicated man. Like Ned, like very predictable in certain ways, in good ways. Obviously, this is not a, I'm not insulting them or criticizing them, but they are somewhat predictable, right? And Bloodraven knows this, so he's like, I gotta, I gotta at least wrap this dude's arm up before I tell him what's happening. <laughs> so he doesn't yeah, run off and yeah. faint. <laughs> like, he, he's so gung-ho, I, I need to, like, we need to slow down just for a minute. Is that how you interpreted that too? Because I'm not, I'm not super, super confident in this interpretation. But I think that's that's all I've got. Really. Maybe it's it's maybe it's inclusion for lack of other conclusions. What do you think? That makes sense. He he maybe did uh, a combination of maybe he wants to lead Dunk in the right direction, but not tell him exactly what to do. But also make sure Dunk is ready to go in that direction. Yeah. And on some level, he still I still wonder if Blood Raven had completely made up his mind about Dunk. Uh, I and I partly say that because at the end it seemed like. When everything's revealed, you know, and he's uh, in there talking to Dunk and Blood Raven and Egg, and he's, you know, passing judgment, it seems like he's still making sure Dunk answers questions the right way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I wonder that Blood Raven is ever truly trusting of anyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. He may be more trusting of Dunk than most because he's seen him in action, seen how he behaves when when it really comes down to it. There's, there's, there's nothing like that kind of proof, but people can change too, as he's seen in his own life. Like he, for example, he was trained at arms by Fireball, <laughs> who became his big enemy. And he was probably uh, idolized Damon Blackfire, who he had to kill. So yeah, this is a guy, he's, he's pretty cynical in part because of the things he's had to do in his life or did in his life. Maybe he didn't have to do them, but he felt like he had to do them. Uh, whether he had to or not, he did them and they have to weigh on him a bit. So, you know. Let's have the next quote. This is where Dunk is asking Blood Raven where Egg is. Yeah. And Blood Raven says, With the gods, and you will know why, I think. The pain that twisted inside Dunk just then made him forget his arm. He groaned. He tried to use the boat. So I surmise he showed the ring to Master Lothar, who delivered him to Butterwell, who no doubt pissed his breeches at the side of it and started wondering if he had chosen the wrong side and how much Blood Raven knows of this conspiracy. The answer to that last is quite a lot, Plum chuckled. So this is right after he says the fiddler is Damon the second when they're talking about, you know, looking stupid on a, oh, looking handsome on a horse, looking stupid on a horse. <laughs> 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 so that's, uh, that's the Lord uh, Caswell, <laughs> the one who can't even hold his lance straight. Yeah. This is interesting too. You and Nina both noticed this. I, I didn't take much note of this, but I think it's an interesting catch that first of all, there's... Dunk's nice silken tunic is cut up to bind Dunk's arm. And Dunk winces a little bit at the loss of his finest garment, which Plum Raven doesn't even, you know, doesn't even seem to consider. Um, which might be, you might not cut up a hedge knight's finest garment if you yourself were a hedge knight. You might not, might not just do that so casually. But also maybe there's a little symbolism, maybe. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, you guys, uh, good catch here. Yeah, my, my thought on it was a little bit more not the, the niceness of the tunic, but that it was from Dorn. Mm. Don't know for sure if Blood Raven would have even known that necessarily, but one with the other, I thought it might be symbolic or foreshadowing of something to come if, if Blood Raven is willing to tear up some Dornish connection to save a Targaryen. I even thought for a minute 
Uh, I didn't get too deep with it, but I think he even tore it into three pieces and he used the first piece to clean the wound. I, I was, I was like, ah, I'm probably reading too much into this, but, but, but I, you know, I, I maybe not reading enough into it because Martin did does seem to choose his words carefully and did seem to take a minute describing this whole scenario. So absolutely, yeah, and and you know, we we have to remember that Egg's mother was from Dorne, and right. Dornish relations with you know Baylor was Dornish and his death was a big deal, um, you know, for the Dornish connection to the Iron Throne and all that. So yeah, there's definitely some possibility there. Y'all, if you have any more takes on that, hit, hit us up, put it in the chat, send us an email or, or post it on the Discord or whatever. Another thought I wanted to make about this scene was I appreciate that Dunk just is sick to his stomach because he thinks right now mm-hmm. he realized it was that his fault. Egg is dead. Yeah. And he just... He's just ready to be done with life. He does definitely doesn't care about his tunic. You know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. care about his arm. He's just worried. He just feels bad. Probably a combination of like, Beg is dead. Like that's sad on its own. But he also feels responsible for it too. And, and uh, this guy's telling him, I did tell you to leave. You know, he's like telling him, you, you really should have. You had all the chance to not have this happen, you know. So yeah. he's feeling like not just that he failed, but that it would have been really easy to not fail. It was just a bad choice. You know, just a simple dumb decision <laughs> and that is hard and blood raven to swallow yeah blood raven seems to be letting this happen too you know what i mean he he knows dunk's feeling bad he's not giving him a straight answer eventually yeah. dunk grabs it by the neck it's like tell me what you're saying here yeah. you know? and you wonder too if he's just like maybe trying to delay because it's like you know my army's gonna be here in like 10 hours you know we just need to just hold off you know <laughs> yeah maybe he's trying to build the emotion up in dunk maybe he's trying to make sure dunk will uh, go on this what, what might even be a suicide mission yeah. he's trying to get dunk's courage or adrenaline up you know that's very interesting yeah there's a lot of possibilities here i just wanted to bring up we were talking about um blood raven talking about you should go to the wall or go here yeah or go there I wonder if blood raven has had any visions of, of them being important in any of these places yeah oh good call yeah, yeah. That's, that's sort of why yeah, i brought the, up the we don't know how deep he is in his magic yeah. at this point but yeah it, 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 he definitely could yeah it, it may add to why he was keeping tabs on this particular tournament if he had had a vision about it yeah you, you, you know? think maybe it was his spy network revealed it but maybe it was just his magic revealed it to him i mean yeah. <laughs> it could be both but <laughs> like he might be wise enough unlike a lot of other people with visions to properly investigate. Does that make sense? Yes. He like sends spies out, goes and collects data. He tries to figure out what these visions make, what these visions mean, rather than like make these huge speculations. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to be king. Yeah. I guess I'm supposed to burn myself up in a fire. Like, yeah, combining the like, two. Me... Yeah, use the two, yeah. as, bounce, the, uh, bounce them off each other. Like let them work in concert rather than just believe everything. Yeah, use some verification. Use some some hardcore logic as well as the the idealistic dreaming somewhere in between yeah or both yeah both tools yeah. that makes a lot of sense right <laughs> one thing i looked for and i could not find was any evidence of like is trying to find a blood ravens a skin changer already by this point there's no like ravens or crows besides the ones at the crow cage at the beginning which is not relevant to the to the tournament so yeah there's just there's no animals like present that I would be like, oh, that's that's Blood Raven because well, he's there in person. I guess he doesn't need to <laughs> use animals, but still, it would have been 
noteworthy if there was one. It's not noteworthy if there isn't, but it definitely would have been, it would have been like, oh, he's definitely already using powers of the old gods, which... Yeah, like, I wonder if he had had dragon dreams or green dreams yeah, or, you know, fascinating one or both. Tantalizing possibilities, really, yeah. But It's also possible the absence of prose or such. Martin... Just like he didn't use a ruby when maybe he could have, but that's too strong of a clue. Yeah, maybe he's yeah. trying to... Good point, good point. Speaking of symbolism, Nina noted here when Dunk does arrive at the Sept after getting his sword and stuff back, Egg steps out from the shadows beneath the father. That's kind of cool, right? He's in the fa- the shadow of his father. It's, of course, this is the father, meaning the seven, the faith. But it's... Makar knew yeah, about this. Like, remember this the story that's told here, the lie that Egg goes and he's like, Yeah, Makar knew about this and sent me to investigate, which surprisingly worked. But Butterwell's such a coward and so afraid. He's already worried. I mean, the whole thing was falling apart even without that. Even if that wasn't true, everything was going really badly. So, <laughs> yeah. But also, Makar is just a commanding, like, Stannis like figure. Of, he's a domineering, powerful war hero that with a, a aggressive personality. So that's the kind of guy that would cast a long shadow. That's very, very that's good a, catch. Yes, I agree. I'm I'm jealous of that catch. That's so good. I didn't <laughs> notice it either. Yeah. Good catch, Nina. Good said. Well point. So Butterwell's like acting like a guy who could wishes he wishes he could take it all back. Right. He's like, no, I didn't. It was his fault. Black Tom made me do this and Gorman Peak arranged it all and blah blah blah. Uh, and the, finding out that Egg is a prince just has him all the more motivated to, you know, to back out as much as possible. While Black Tom is like, nope, all the more reason to push ahead, all the more reason to take this prisoner and and make demands. And yeah, I kind of don't believe Butterwell, but I kind of do, which is that I do think he was kind of the pressure was put on him, and he had his ambitions, but that. He was still just being pushed around. He wouldn't have done anything to do with this without anyone else. It would have would had to go really that, well. Would you say that you believe maybe one in 10 of his words? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Good said. So he, yeah, he confesses though. He does admit, even though he downplays his role, he doesn't say, uh, you know, he definitely admits he was part of it. And he places his hand on the altar and he's like, I swear, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So let's back up a little bit. So the first time we see Black Tom, because he's about to fight him, there's a little bit of a foreshadowing. You know, whenever you see, when Dunk is the biggest guy, and whenever you see like the second biggest guy, maybe one of these days, it'll be someone even bigger than him. There's a good chance he's going to end up fighting him. Even in the hedge night, he doesn't end up fighting the biggest other guy there in the laughing storm, but he's going to, you know, 20 years from now or something like that. So, And he does fight the second biggest guy in the... The Sworn Sword, yeah, right? exactly. So this was somewhat predictable that he would eventually fight Black Tom. Let's have the quote for his first sight of him. Dunk got his first look at Sir Tom Heddle while searching for egg amongst the crowds about the lists. Heavy set and broad with a chest like a barrel, 
Lord Butterwell's good son wore black plate over boiled leather and an ornate helm fashioned in the likeness of some demon, scaled and slavering. His horse was three hands taller than thunder and two stone heavier, monster of a beast, armored in a coat of ringmail. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. That's another thing that would look really cinematic, wouldn't it? Like this, this, mo- oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And then, and then even more so when he takes his helm off, he's got his big black beard and angry red boils just to throw another black fire reference in there, black and red, you know. Strong horse. <laughs> yeah. A coat like, of ringmail and yeah. Tom Heddle. Dragon horse. Yeah, demon helm with the, with the horns. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can you just imagine the trailer, right? Can you just <laughs> yeah, imagine that, how exciting the, the like 30 second commercial would be? I just want to clarify, you you meant not a horse trailer, but a trailer for a show. Right, I guess. <laughs> I very much pictured an actual horse trailer from modern day. Oh, for that? Oh, oh yeah. What size of a trailer <laughs> could you fit that horse in? Yeah, that's that's great. It's a good thing I clarified and said commercial. <laughs> you know the guy from um, Willow, General... Oh, the guy with the sawtoothed sword. He had that big old helm. That's who I picture when I think of this guy. General... I vaguely remember. It's General been a long Kale. time since I've seen Kale, him. General Kale, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's he tastes like leafy vegetables. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's why everybody's he's like, oh, Kale. Ugh. Yeah, that's, that's why he chose that name. <laughs> Hey, don't badmouth kale. I like kale, and it's super healthy. <laughs> I like kale, too, but only when it's heavily cooked. <laughs> you got to mix it with stuff. I like what it does for my nutritional needs more than what it does for my taste buds, <laughs> though. Now, on the topic of demons and armor, there's one other sort of example of this, and it comes from when Tyrion is telling all the armorers and, and craftsmen of King's Landing that stop what you're doing and make chains. <laughs> and they're like, they're not yeah. so happy about that. Master Solorian here is like, I've got an idea. Some of them argue, but Master Solorian, he's kind of like, he's more of a diplomat about it. It doesn't work. His attempt at diplomacy is actually kind of bad, <laughs> as you'll see from Tyrion's <laughs> inner monologue. Here we go. Plate and scale, I think. The scale is gilded bright as the sun. The plate enameled a deep Lannister crimson. I would suggest a demon's head for a helm, crowned with tall golden horns. When you ride into battle, men will shrink away in fear. Demon's head, Tyrion thought ruefully. Now what does that say of me? Why did you, why would you go to a Lannister and be like, hmm, demon's head? (laughs) Like, why not lion? (laughs) (laughs) That's so obvious. Like, demon said, yeah, what does it say of me? It's like, exactly. It says, this is what he thinks of you. He's like, you're a scary looking man, so let's keep that going. Yeah, like, no, (laughs) this is not a good sales pitch after all. Of course, Master Solorian's one of the guys who joins the uh, antler men and gets flung over the walls with with, with antlers nailed to his head by Joffrey. So this guy makes several bad decisions, actually. <laughs> it's the thing. It's like, the point is, a demon's helm is kind of a straightforward authorial trick. Even It's not even really a trick. It's just a statement. It's like, this guy is evil. <laughs> this guy's bad news, yeah. right? It's not subtle. It's not meant to be subtle. Tom, Black Tom is a piece of work. He's scummy, brutal, cruel. He's worse than Long Inch and, and probably more open with his violence. Yeah, so <laughs> quite, a, quite a statement. This is probably not, uh, Nina writes, as we talked a little bit about this before, if y'all remember the Heddles, the Heddles appear also, speaking of Tyrion, it's Masha Heddle that is overseeing the inn where Tyrion is arrested by Catelyn. And of course she gets hanged by Tywin because it was her place this happened in as if she had a way to stop it. 
anyway, that's another story. So there was some Sir John Heddle who bought the inn at the crossroads. And remember, this is the black, this is the clanking dragon story come again. So the Heddles all tied into that. Now, um, so it makes sense that Black Tom would be on the black fire side in that sense. The uh, his descendant uh, Masha Heddle, of course, was trying not to take sides at all. She's like, I don't want any of this. No, but didn't work out for her. So we have a uh, a refrain that we pointed out before, and it comes up in this quote. A couple of refrains that happen in this battle. Um, so let's have a quote and then we'll break it down. Get him, sir. You heard Egg call. Get him. Get him. He's right there. The taste of blood was in Dunk's mouth. And worse, his wound had opened once again. A wave of dizziness washed over him. Black Tom's blade was turning the long kite shield to splinters. Oak and iron guard me well or else I'm dead and doomed to hell, Dunk thought, before he remembered that this shield was made of pine. When his back came up hard against an altar, he stumbled to one knee and realized he had no more ground left to give. Humor is that attention is a storytelling technique, uh, I think is the right way to go about it when you know who's going to win. Like there's no, there's no tension as far as Dunk's life here. Maybe something surprising could happen here. Maybe, you know, something unexpected could happen, but Dunk's not going to die in this moment and everyone knows it, right? He's the POV. There's only one POV. So as far as storytelling, I've, you know, it can be a little tedious when there's an extended fight between people when you really know what's going to happen, even if it's your first time seeing it. And that just gets worse on rewatch when you really, really, really know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I know that's something you've, we've talked about before, Sean, something you have thoughts on, like how to handle action scenes when you kind of know what the end result's going to be. And I think humor is a good way to do it, but there's other way, methods as well. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Humor is one way to do it. Another way to do it is to have something at stake beyond winning or losing or living or dying, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He might still get his arm chopped off or mm-hmm. we might still relate to the pain that he's going through or maybe, you know, Egg might still be in danger. Like, hey, what if in the middle of this battle, one of the other guards grabs Egg? I think there's yeah, other yeah. ways for this to matter. Absolutely. Another thing is to make it be quick. Don't drag this out. Don't make this a 15-minute you know, action yes. sequence that you got to suffer through. And that is definitely uh, what happened. This was very, this was like three paragraphs at most. Yeah. <laughs> this is just like Black Tom drives him one way, then Dunk shield bashes him the other way and cuts his arm off, stabs him through the throat. Done. Pretty mm-hmm. good. I like that. And, and also another good technique George uses here is this beating Black Tom isn't, this isn't the climax. This is just, it's a step towards the climax. The climax is arguably the trial. Um, Damon falling in the mud. That might be the real climactic moment, if anything is. I'm not sure there is one climactic moment, but that's more climactic than this, right? Because that's a real... Part of why I like this story yeah. is there are multiple heights, multiple climactic moments. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Also, he his back going up against the altar sort of mirrors his back going up against the well when he's fighting Alan Cockshaw, and the same thing happens. He's backed up against the wall, he starts smashing. <laughs> yeah. Just start bashing. You can't win with your sword. Just bash. Well, he didn't even have a sword against Cockshaw, but yeah, just bash. Do it. It might also <laughs> like add a little brothers. bit. <laughs> yeah, the Bash Brothers. It might add a little bit to Dunk's, I don't know how to say this exactly, but honor. The only time he kills people is when he's really desperate. Mm. When, when there are obvious aggressors trying to kill him and he's fighting his way back out of it. He arguably could have killed some of these people quicker and faster when their guard was down or before it was clear that they were out to kill Dunk. But the the moment he kills them is after they've all but killed him. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. 
It does make sense. Good said. I never get tired of reading Egg go, get him. Yeah, get he's him, right sir. there. He's right there. So awesome. I just like have such a clear image of eggs like <laughs> fist pumping at him. Sean does a pretty good egg too. You do a pretty good egg voice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. By the way, I say that without realizing, I, I realize it now because Rita points it out, but I say that when I'm playing with the cats, with the toy. It's right there. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's right there. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. That's great. <laughs> And like you said about experiencing the POV's pain, he's certainly feeling that here as Tom is slamming his short sword into his shield and the arm that's been stabbed by Cockshaw is really throbbing. But there's this sort of tongue-in-cheek line here. You were no knight, said Black Tom. Those tears in your eyes, oaf. Tears of pain. Dunk pushed up off his knee and slammed shield first into his foe. You are no knight, said Black Tom. Maybe that's what made him mad. He's like, oh, you, should, <laughs> you, you, you know, you shouldn't have made me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> Dunk becomes Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> he struck a chord. He did, yeah. yeah. So that's, that was pretty neat. By the way, another great opportunity for acting if this was filmed. That moment of tears in Dunk's oh, eyes. Yeah. I don't know who they could get to play that well enough. Nice, but. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, That would be like, this is a brief fight, but they would really need to be tight. <laughs> I'm yeah. a poet, and I didn't recognize it prior to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Since it's oak and iron, guard me well, or else I'm doomed to hell, and this is pine, well, we had to come up with some of our own rhymes. Pine guard my body, although it's more shoddy. <laughs> Pine stop his blows or he'll chop off my nose. That's more for Tyrion. Although Tyrion, <laughs> it's too late for Tyrion, actually. It's for anyone but Tyrion, actually. Pine's what I'm rocking. Your sword's what I'm blocking. With Pine in Oak's place, smash Black Tom in his face. And Pine <laughs> keep you in check till I stab through your neck. <laughs> Man, I God, I wish somehow Martin could read. Could, somehow someone get Martin to watch this episode. <laughs> you know he'd love that. Yeah, he would. He would. <laughs> At least I hope he would. <laughs> it would be gratifying if he did. Send us in your pine quote. Yes, your wood rhymes. Your, your, wood your rhymes. pine rhymes. Yeah, it doesn't have to be for pine. You could go with and you could go with mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to rhyme mahogany. Extra points if you can rhyme mahogany. mahogany. <laughs> With my mahogany, I am blocking thee. Yeah, <laughs> Don't be okay. hogging me, mahogany. <laughs> uh, so yes, please do. If you have your own funny quips, send them our way. Speaking of jokes, Black Tom jokes that the only way Dunk would kill him is if he fell on him. This is not a good joke to make, Tom, considering every time we've seen Dunk win, including how he'll win against Black Tom, it's when he uses size to beat people down. <laughs> uh, that was a good catch by Nina. Also, she says this joke recalls in reverse Darren the Drunken's prediction. Remember, he predicted that the dragon, that he would fall on him, right? And or Dunk would have a dragon fall on top of him, rather, and uh, but emerge unscathed. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, at Ashford Meadow, but here Dunk falls on the Black Dragon supporter somewhat in reverse instead of being fallen on by a Red Dragon. Pretty, pretty cool. Yes. So let's take a few quick questions and comments, then we'll get back to the narrative. Yasin says, destroying the fledgling legend with the power of hilarity, that's why Tywin Lannister hated the sound of laughter so much. Eh, that's a good take. Yes, Tywin did hate. Laughter does have a lot of power to detract from the type of um, image that Tywin likes to cultivate. 
That's a good take, Yasin. Dornish James says, this also makes me think of Mance and the silk thread patching up his cloak and how he valued it, but the Night's Watch wanted him to get rid of it. Yeah, really good point about the cutting up the, the cloak for binding because that is why uh, Mance's cloak was torn up was because the lady who saved him after he'd been attacked by a shadow cat cut up more of his cloak and then uh, repaired his cloak with the silk that she had. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Nina notes that when Dunk is thinking about where else to go, like Blood Raven's like, well, get, get out. He's like, well, where would I go? Doesn't consider going back to Cold Moat, even though he's had, had sex dreams about her <laughs> and mm-hmm. she was clearly happy to have him around. He just, I don't know, maybe he just thinks that's moving backwards. What do you think about that? You think maybe he just didn't consider it or is it just, you know, coming back with his hat in his hand? It is a little embarrassing for him. What do you think? Yeah, I think that might be part of it, but also part of it, it might be hard to, I mean, at one point he even, it even happens in his mind. It's hard to be around someone that you're romantically, uh, crushing on when they're with their significant other. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah. It, it's, she's just torturing himself, yeah. right? To go back to her and she's with Eustace. That's it's it's hard he, to... He thinks about it. What's Rohan doing? Is she slumbering beside Eustace snoring? You know, like he's thinking about yeah. the fact that they're together. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I don't think he would ever want to be with her while she's with another person. Yeah, I guess it's so unthinkable that he doesn't think of it. Maybe yeah. that's why. He doesn't even yeah. consider it. He, or maybe he's already considered it, He's like, it, this perhaps. is wildly inappropriate. Even if he wasn't yeah. uncomfortable, it would it would not be appropriate for yeah. him to go be around her. And we have to think, remember, it hasn't been very long. We pointed that out at the beginning. This is this is unlike the first story where, you know, a year and a half or so has passed. This is like just months later. Another little Neat catch here. Note that Plum Raven refers to the White Walls tournament as a nest of adders. And then at the end of the story, Blood Raven will also use the phrase nest of adders, which by itself, maybe that doesn't mean a lot, but the phrase nest of adders appears three times total in all of the books, period, all of them. And two of those three times are Blood Raven, then Maynard, or other way around, Riller, really the same guy twice. So here is the only other time it appears. Catelyn looked to her husband. Now we truly have no choice. You must be Robert's hand. You must go south with him and learn the truth. She saw at once that Ned had reached a very different conclusion. The only truths I know are here. South is a nest of adders. I would do better to avoid. Yeah, guess so, Ned. (laughs) Coulda, woulda, (laughs) shoulda. Yeah. (laughs) He's not wrong, though, right? (laughs) He would do better to avoid it, yeah. So, hmm, yeah. We've we've seen more trials by combat of various types than we've seen the phrase nest of adders. So that is pretty noteworthy, how it comes up there. Oh, we've already got a, a submission for the rhymes. A couple submissions. Looks like as I was saying, there's one. Another one has popped up. Guinevere Greenstone says, Pines, not oak, but please save this fine bloke. (laughs) That's pretty good. Aaron Halley says, Now, my love, let's consummate our monogamy on the mahogany, for which we'll later dine supine on a table of pine. (laughs) Very good. He only had about five minutes to compose that. Well done, y'all. Well done. That was really good. Okay, so the trial itself like I said a minute ago, arguably the true climax here. We don't have to actually debate whether it is or not. It's just, we'll just leave it as that it's arguable that it could be. And here comes apparently your second favorite line in all of Duncan Egg. Yeah, my first favorite I've mentioned a couple of times is in uh, The Hedge Knight when Baylor says, the gods will let us know. Yeah. My mm. second favorite is here when Dunk 
bold as he can be, says, having stood up and commanded the attention of the hall and the prince who asks him, what do you want, Dunk? He says, justice for Glendon Ball. Mm. Oh, man, I well up (laughs) (laughs) at that moment. It it, it reminds me a little bit of Doran Martell at the end of Arianne's chapter where he, he reveals their plan, the secret plan that he's kept from her for so long. He says, vengeance, justice, fire and blood. You know, he's not announcing it yeah. to everyone in the hall, but he's announcing it to the reader and to Arianne, who is stunned. Yeah. And, uh, it, the, you know, that's not a reveal, not a secret. This isn't a secret being revealed, but it is, it does have that sort of gravitas, right? Yes, yeah. And th- this moment also reminds me of another moment from The Hedge Knight. I, and I think about this, it's like, I don't know, I, especially on a reread, especially when we're trying to cover this, right? Yeah. I, I have certain thoughts, certain, certain things I'm looking for, right? Certain, certain ways my mind is steered to interpret the story. One of which comes from this quote from the first one when Dunk is thinking about Egg. He says, boy is too bold for his own good. <laughs> Ought to beat that out of him. He knew he would not though. He liked the boldness. He needed to be bolder himself. My squire is braver than I am and more clever. And to the whole story, I just keep noticing how bold and clever Dunk is. You know, like just Dunk doesn't give himself enough credit. And this is one of the boldest moments of the whole story when he stands up there and demands justice in a room full of adders and a nest of adders. That's cool. You're right. That's a really good line to cite. And then then there's response here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's sort of a follow up as, you know, the you know, the fallout of this demand, this this uh, this commotion that Dunk has created here. Enough! Lord Peak's face was almost purple. One more word and I will rip your tongue out by the roots. You lie, said Dunk. That's two words. <laughs> yeah, that was so perfect. And that one, not only is that bold and also kind of clever, but I also feel like that's a little bit Dunk channeling Egg. That's, that's you know, yeah. maybe specifically kind of snarky like Egg is, you know. That's true. Yeah, it's like that sarcasm, like, come back. Like, yeah, the, it's a little bit snotty, but it's also, like, <laughs> right on. Yeah. <laughs> this whole scene is kind of tragic because uh, Damon does kind of shine in this scene. Not after he's all muddy. That mud does take the shine off. But I mean, how he takes justice seriously. Like, that's definitely to his credit that he wanted to get to the bottom of it. He didn't just brush it all under the rug, it would have maybe been more pragmatic for him. But he kind of wanted to do it the right way, even though he's kind of naive about what the right way is. He's very naive about what's happening around him. And it's also an irony because the conspirators tricked him into thinking he was a better jouster than he was. He, he acts his own, as his own champion, which isn't required of him at all. Using a champion is entirely normal, right? Like the kings have king's guard fight for them all the time. Well, it's like more normal than not. Yeah. So in, in this example, he kind of has to do it, right? Like, imagine if this moment he calls for a champion to, to joust for him. Yeah. That, that just really takes away from the whole That's true. You're attempt right. at leadership that he's going for here I mean, and that, that, that he needs to be going for the per- here. The specific person he is trying to emulate and show himself to be descended from would not have taken a champion. Never. Yeah, Damon Blackfire yeah. would have done it himself. You're right. And that's what he's trying to emulate. That's a very good point. And but he wouldn't have thought he was as good as his father if it weren't for all these all them propping him up, people losing on purpose. If he had just if this joust had gone the natural way, he would have already been defeated. <laughs> he would have lost to like Galtry or someone before, mm-hmm. and then, then he would have started questioning things long before this climactic moment. He's in a tough spot, and and and, and like on the spot in front of everyone too, right? It's it's a little easier for us to think of what he could have should have done. Yeah, that's true. When we're not standing there with a the crowd at this awkward moment, but he probably would have been better off 
challenging the other conspirators for what they had done and and trying to get Glendon Ball to his side rather than jousting against Glendon. Yeah. Saying like, you know, this whole egg being stolen thing doesn't make sense. Glendon, what, you know, I think that it may not have worked to like win this revolt, at least in the short term, but it, I think it would have worked better than what ended up happening. Yeah. (laughs) There's another irony here, or not an irony, or you can say, no wonder Bittersteel didn't want any part of this plan. Like, if he understood that they were just going to try to make this kid seem as good as Damon the First to everyone else, like, how could that hold up over time? That That's a lie that's going to get exposed. I mean, Damon wasn't bad at jousting. He just wasn't great, right? That is, again, Caswell's our example of someone's bad. Someone who can't even hold the lance straight. Uh, again, I come back to Renly, Robert, Stannis. Renly was an adequate warrior. If they wanted to make him look good, they wouldn't have to try very hard. But if they wanted to make Renly look great, just imagine trying to make Renly look like Robert as a warrior. That's akin to what's happening here. You're trying to fool the world into thinking Damon the Second is Damon the First come again. Which, again, that's sad because Damon the Second has some really great qualities. They should have leaned into those qualities instead of trying to make him be like his father. Stannis is on and on about this. Like, look, I'm not Robert. Stop trying to make me into Robert. It's not going to work. I can't yeah. win men like Robert, you know? A, a lot of how that story went is is different than this uh, situation I'm surmising here. Yeah. But say there had been some attempt to prop Renly up and to have him, you know, seem as great a warrior as Robert. And they wanted Stannis to take part, to come be, uh, you know, uh, on the council of this tournament, whatever. Stannis was like, what? This isn't going to work. I'm not, I'm not going to be any part of this, you know? <laughs> he knew better, right? So... Yeah, it's like it's like poker. You know, I like to use poker analogies every once in a while. Don't bluff unless you can get away with it, right? And in this, yeah. this is just not a good bluff. Play, you got to play the hand you're dealt. They were trying to pretend they were dealt a great warrior when they were dealt a charismatic guy. They should have leaned into that, used that. This sense of justice, this sense of duty, that could have won some followers. That might have worked if they had leaned into that and been like, look how honorable this guy is. Westeros is full of people who know their business with a sword. Like, it's, the, it's a highly martial society. It's just no way you can fool the realm into thinking someone's a good warrior when they're not, or yeah. a great warrior when they're not. They did a little bit of that honor thing in that they had Damon not accept anyone's ransoms or their goods. True, yeah. Which is, you you're know, right. they wanted him to look good there if they had just done a little more of that. Yeah, you're right. And that was working. Like, that was like people were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was getting generating buzz. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Well, let's see here. We have uh, another line that I just can't, can't get around this. It just the fact that these guys just cannot get over their prejudice, even when they're insulting their own friends and such. Here we go. Then Lord Costain slammed a fist upon the table and shouted, it's death that one deserves, not justice. A dozen other voices echoed his, and Sir Herbert Page declared, He's bastard-born. All bastards are thieves, or worse, blood will tell. Again, these men are forgetting Damon Blackfire was a bastard. <laughs> and what about when Glendon wins and Damon loses? What does that say about blood will tell? So <laughs> it's like, so does, and what's, does that mean Glendon right, really is the uh, son of Fireball? <laughs> what's Bloodraven going to think about Costain when this is all done? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did steal the egg, so that's that part's true. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. I guess that... That dwarf must have been a bastard. Ah, also. <laughs> hey, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes, according to Tyrion. Yeah, no. yeah. Not really. That's that's Tywin. Yeah, we don't take Tywin's opinion <laughs> on that, though. No, don't listen to Tywin. Uh, Tywin's wrong. 
It's funny, but the thing about and blood will tell, right? This is a hugely ironic moment. Is it real? Is he Fireball's son? Is this proof? Because blood will tell. He's an amazing jouster. He's an amazing warrior. Is that proof? If, if based on their co, uh, based on their way of weighing evidence, it kind of is. And this Baylor would agree. The gods yeah, will let us know. And Damon <laughs> isn't. So Damon, he's not Damon's son. He lost in the t- in the t- moment when it mattered most. So like <laughs> blood will tell, y'all. Hoisted by their own petard. They hoisted themselves by their own petard many times in this story. <laughs> and here it is. Like you said, he wanted, he's trying to be like his dad. As Ashea pointed out, here's the quote. I will settle this as my father would, the fiddler said. Sir Glendon stands accused of grievous crimes. As a knight, he has a right to defend himself by strength of arms. I shall meet him in the lists and let the gods determine guilt and innocence. Hero's blood or horse blood, Dunk thought. When two of Lord Verwell's men dumped Sir Glendon naked at his feet, he has a deal less of it than he did before. <laughs> Some more little jokes. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> would have gone a lot differently, potentially, if it had been a Mayweather. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dunk was hoping for it. It would have been quite as good at that, especially not in his condition. I still hope we get that. Maybe Dunk goes to the north and we get one. Yeah, know. nice, a nice That'd be Mayweather. Cool. Yeah, see so how he does. Wrestling. <laughs> a little bear wrestling. By the way, theoretically, Glendon could have chosen a champion here too, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Dunk could have fought like for him, it, like you know yeah, if he had I, when I first his... read it, I kind of thought that I think oh, yeah. that he would name Dunk as his champion just because Glennon yeah. was really messed up. Yeah, yeah. Like I guess yeah. like the quote you just read, he dumped him naked at his feet. Yeah, yeah. He's it just yeah, like, goes to show how amazing he is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, to me, it's borderline hard to believe that the sort of beating that Glennon's taken. A lot of times, I, I make this point a lot about how action is portrayed on screen. If you've ever been smacked in the head, if you've ever just like fallen and hit your head or been in a car wreck, you don't just jump up and start scrambling around and fighting with swords. You're really disoriented and pounding it. How many times have you, have you ever had like a fingernail ripped off? Has that ever happened to you? Nope. There's three of them. <laughs> like it hurts a lot yeah. and it's for days, you know, and maybe if your adrenaline's pumping, I, I mean, I can believe that he was able to do this, but it's tough for me to believe. Well, it. the reason the reason they, you can believe it, I think that, that, that we can't be, that we can't feel. The one thing we can't feel about this is what it's like to have the, your life depend on it. Like the adrenaline level true. when your yep. life depends on it. Like I've never, I haven't even lost a fingernail like that, let alone my life depending on performing when I'm injured, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's also a little bit more believable because they did make a point of how good Glendon was. And how bad Damon isn't. Or, or and Damon isn't really Damon. that good. Yeah. So it does add up. But say it had been a melee or say they had chopped yeah. off Glendon's mm-hmm. fingers or something. I feel like he should have been able to name Dunk as, as his champion, which would have been interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really it goes to what people thought about Glendon right there. Did they think he was capable of fighting or not? Yeah. Apparently, they thought he was capable of fighting. I think Sean and I think he probably wasn't really, but I guess we're proven wrong. All he needed to do was sit a horse and hold the land, yeah. which isn't a lot. Like, his his fingers were quite hurt, but gripping on something his left hand, and, yeah. and, like, gripping with your legs isn't as hard as some other things. Yeah, just staying up straight on a horse. I mean, you horse just sitting a yeah, horse is not an easy true. task. It's an right. exertion, Except, you know, and it'd be a little bit easier for Glendon than the average person. He's done a lot. Yeah, he's good at it's it. Yeah, like, but remember, have to even have to not, think about it. Not only the beating and torture, but literally, like just the one simple thing we saw when he was smacked against the face with a gilded, with a gloved fist. You know, with yeah. a, a, a punch like him that right there. alone. Yeah, I mean that. 
that is enough. That might have cracked your skull or smashed your eye or just a beating and pounding in your head. And I, yeah. Again, he's tough. Action often gets overdone. Injuries get downplayed. I, I It's okay. Fine. I accept it. If or when this is on screen, I think we can hope that Glendon won't look like in ridiculously beat up and, <laughs> and more lightly tortured. Yeah. So going back to your point about how it's easy to be generous when you're rich, it's a similar situation here, sort of on both sides. It's easy to believe in justice through strength of arms when you're an amazing warrior or when you think you are. <laughs> so that's the problem here is he thinks he is because they've lied to him and deceived him into thinking that, uh, although he really probably could have figured it out on his own that he's not as good as he thinks he is. So there's definitely some of it on him. He's 22. He's not some kid. but also. His pride has been pricked here. Dunk told him they were losing to him on purpose like two minutes before this. So he's got to like, it's like, no, I, yeah. I did not. Like, so he wants to prove himself, right? A little bit of ego. And Dunk involved. didn't just tell lie. him. He told everyone in the room. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 definitely. So that's a pretty big deal. And it's, it's another reason why Damon just can't back down here. He's been told he's not good. There's justice is happening. He wants to behave like his father. Plus the guy that's going to fight him, as we just said, is horribly beat up. So what's he going to cower before that? Like he should, he he really shouldn't back down from that. That's a soundtrack for the movie will be the Tom Petty song. Yeah, I won't (laughs) back down. My armor's brown. (laughs) 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 So uh, here's another quote. Beyond the field, a gray mist was rising sending ghostly fingers up the pale stone walls to grip the castle battlements. By the way, what a great line. Awesome, Sorry, right? I didn't yeah. the quote. Just, uh, George yeah. is so good at this, yeah. <laughs> Many of the wedding guests had vanished during the intervening hours, but those who remained climbed the viewing stand again and settled themselves on planks of rain-soaked pine. Amongst them stood Sir Gorman Peak, surrounded by a knot of lesser lords and household knights. Someone, we need a, now we need a rhyme for rain-soaked, sitting on rain-soaked pine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Drinking my Dornish wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the mist, that's the sign, right? The mist is rising. The mist is associated with Bloodraven both at the beginning of the story and at the end and in other places. Also, just people talk about it, that he commands the mist, things like that. So um, given that he's about to show up, this is pretty important. Many of the wedding guests had vanished during the intervening hours. That's also a real bad sign for the conspirators. People are like, this is just... Not gonna work. <laughs> they can see the uh, the cracks in the seams here. They can see this plot not going the way they thought. People figuring out what's really happening. They know the sword's not here. The egg's been st- all this stuff. But just yeah, the signs are there. They have to make their reveal. Uh, it's kind of like they're pivoting to another plan. They can't win the egg in the tournament. Well, next best thing: defeat the man who stole it. That will look pretty good, right? But not if it doesn't work, but <laughs> that's beside the point. And then the Herald flat. As long as you know where every other part of the, yeah. <laughs> the formula. <laughs> yeah. Then the Herald just abandons all pretense. He's like, Damon of House Blackfire, second of his name, <laughs> right? Born King of the Andals, et cetera, et cetera. Titles, titles. And why not? At this point, he's washed the dye from his hair. He's, he's, he's like, okay, this wasn't the way I planned on making my entrance, but it's still going to be pretty dashing. It's still going to be pretty exceptional. He's got his Valyrian hair, his purple eyes. 
but he loses in a manner commensurate with the opposite image they're going for, right? They're trying to make him seem amazing. He's all bright prince, shiny gold, silver, amethyst, but no, mud, mocking. And that's why you all pointed out the mockery being so perfect and on target. It may have been a plant by someone with quick wit. I don't know. (laughs) It's really interesting how Damon doesn't lose any confidence, but that's because, well... He believes his dreams. He's got confidence. He's like, none of this matters. Like, it's all going to work out because my dream said so. Like, yeah, I fell in the mud. So what? In the end, my dream said, yeah, but clearly not. (laughs) Nope. Sorry, Damon. Sorry, sorry. Hmm. That's why he's the brown dragon because he's Damon number two. (laughs) (laughs) They even said, but they said piss on that fiddle boy. But really, yeah, they got both of that. They got all that covered. The King's Hand. So this is this is our second to last section. Uh, and here we will start with a quote. An army had appeared outside the castle, rising from the morning mists. Egg wasn't lying after all, Dunk told Sir Kyle, astonished. From Maidenpool had come Lord Mooton, from Raventree, Lord Blackwood, from Duskendale, Lord Darklin. The royal demences about King's Landing sent forth Hayfords, Rossbys, Stokeworths, Masseys, and the King's own sworn swords, led by three knights of the King's Guard and stiffened by 300 raven's teeth with tall white werewood bows. Mad Danel Lawston herself rode forth in strength from her haunted towers at Heron Hall, clad in black armor that fit her like an iron glove, the long red hair streaming. Yeah, that's a great quote too. Just the roll call of who shows up is fun to read. I like that. But it's, again, the, the, the mist and blood raven, the army rising from the morning mists. Who's in command of it? The mist man himself, blood raven. And Kai Dunk told Sir Kyle, who, of course, knows a few things about mist being Sir Kyle, the cat of the misty moors. Yes, let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, notably, Mad Donnell Lofton was one of the ones the conspirators thought would join their side. <laughs> so either... She's too good for that. Yeah, she's too good for that. Either I'm that or she's just... because I cosplayed her at Ice and Fire Con and we have a Lofton shield on our wall. We do. So seeing her flowing hair coming in in power was mm-hmm. awesome. Ashea makes a mighty fine Donnell Lofton, let me say. The armor looks great too. Yeah, it is a really good cosplay. We've got... There's pictures of it out there somewhere. I like to think I'm not so mad, but... You're not so mad, no. (laughs) You do have long red hair streaming. (laughs) Do you have any haunted towers? You tell me. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Good good point. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. Good point. (laughs) So yeah, so it's a sizable army. It's like 6,000 plus people here. Uh, And there's no army for the Blackfires, which, I mean, there's just their lords and some uh, personal guard, which, well... Yeah, (laughs) it makes this whole charge idea kind of not a good idea. But (laughs) he still thinks it's going to work because he thinks his dreams don't lie. Somehow he's getting out of this. Somehow. (laughs) The quote's actually much longer, but we didn't want to read the whole thing because it's so long. Here's another part I wanted to highlight, though. A single white dragon announced the presence of the king's hand, Lord Brendan Rivers, Blood Raven himself had come to Whitehall's. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> or had he, really? had he just he arrived? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important to point out that Butterwell tried to leave uh, with Egg. Like, remember, they were like, go to Maidenpool. And Lord Frey's like, I'm trying to leave too. But none of them actually did. None of them were able to leave, I guess, because the army had already showed up and Dunk didn't notice yet or... Black Tom and, and Gorman Peak had the doors all locked really well, which is weird because it's Butterwell's castle. Like, uh, 
But this all happened really fast, too. So there's that. Now, as far as getting out, <laughs> here's another great quote. First Blackfire Rebellion had perished on the red grass field in blood and glory. Second Blackfire Rebellion ended with a whimper. It cannot cow us, young Damon proclaimed from the castle battlements after he had seen the ring of iron that had circled them. For our cause is just. We'll slash through them and ride hellbent for King's Landing. Sound the trumpets! Instead, knights and lords and men-at-arms muttered quietly to one another, and few began to slink away, <laughs> making for the stables or postern gate or some hidey hole they hoped might keep them safe. When Damon drew his sword and raised it above his head, every man of them could see it was not Blackfire. Yeah. Pretty pathetic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let's go! Everybody's like, no, I don't think so. Like, not one guy is <laughs> like, yeah, nope, not a one. That's a whimper, all right. That's pretty well put, George. Well, well point. <laughs> Good said. Yeah, not much to say about that. Just fail. All caps, fail. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about Roland Craycall again at the beginning. He's the one that shows up to summon Dunk and bring him to the hand. And uh, clearly no ill will on either side from having, since, they, since their positive encounter after that, they had to fight each other, right? They had the trial. And I yeah. don't recall them speaking after that. Maybe they did, but I don't remember if they did. So, but no ill will. Neither of them wanted to be in that fight. And they know it. And like, they all, I'm sure they both blame it on Arian. <laughs> yeah, Roland, it seemed even happy to uh, reunite yeah. with Dunk here. Yeah, that's true. So here, you know, another... Th- yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, another thought that was spurred in me in this moment here, because Dunk thinks at one point, real close together in this little section, Dunk thinks... Some old dead king gave a sword to one son instead of another. That was the start of it. Now I'm standing here. Poor Roger's in his grave. At Roger Pennytree, yeah. right, he's referring to, right? And then, but, but that line, that thought he had is right after, reflecting on something that uh, Arlen had told him. Kings rise and fall. Cows and small folk go about their business. And he thinks that's seeing cows, you know. But it, th- those are almost in conflict with each other. He's thinking about how these big plays by the the leadership of the realm, you know, they all their strife and warring amongst each other. But the average person just go, they still have to like eat breakfast and feed the crops and everything, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, he's pointing out how this transfer of swords between two lords led to the death of someone's son, you know what I mean? Of, yeah. a, of a common person. And so, I don't know, it made me think a little bit, uh, you know, uh, about the themes that are present pretty, uh, consistently through this story and, and, and many works of literature, the idea of destiny versus decision, that how much you're in control of things versus people outside of you. And the fact is, it's both, you know, like some other Lord might cause a war that shows up at your doorstep, but once the war is there, you might still decide what to do about it or how well you've prepared yourself through life up to this moment can make a difference in how you make it through. Anyway, it's, it's neat to see how Dunk is, is reflecting on these concepts here at this moment, too. It reminds me a little bit of Jorah saying, you high lords, you peasants, small folks suffer most when you high lords play your Game of Thrones. It's, uh, they just want to be left in peace. They don't care who the king is, and um, they never are. <laughs> They never are left in peace, yeah. though. Yeah. Was that Jorah yeah. who said that? Or am I mixing up two quotes? It doesn't really matter. It's The point is, that quote yeah, I was kind of is relevant. I, I didn't think it was Jorah, but people in the chat, let us know. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I may be actually mashing two different quotes together that are kind of similar. It doesn't really matter. The point is, the point stands regardless of who said it. 
And, it is both. You you like you want to feel like you have control over your life, but the fact is there are things you don't have control over. Yeah. But that doesn't relieve you of responsibility for the actions of your life. Yeah, either. you know, yeah. you have control of a lot of your life. Yeah, very true. You know, uh, you can definitely go through your life and not steal and be kind and be generous. But an asteroid still smashes an Earth and kills everyone. You know, maybe you didn't have control over the asteroid, but it doesn't mean you didn't have control over how nice you were to your mother or how much you helped the less fortunate than you or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. It, it is Jorah. It was um, Jorah. Okay, cool. Yes. So right. The quote is from Jorah to Daenerys, the common people pray for rain, healthy children, and a summer that never ends. It is no matter to them if the High Lords play their Game of Thrones. So long as they are left in peace, they never are. That was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good quote. That's a really good quote. That's uh, much more dramatic than this version of it, but it's a pretty similar sentiment, isn't it? Again, a common theme yeah, <laughs> throughout yeah. this story and all of Martin's in literature in general. Yep. And it makes sense that Jorah would, you know, he's highborn. He would have maybe a more flowery way of putting it <laughs> than Dunk has a more yeah. like, rustic way of putting it. Not to criticize one versus the other, just, you know, style. So punishments, that's, of course, a big thing going on here. Bloodraven shows up with an army that, as we noted last time, was clearly prepared in advance. There's no way all these houses showed up at the same time, just coincidentally, right, at the right moment. No, that was very arranged and coordinated. Butterwell loses nine-tenths of his wealth and his castle. Bloodraven says, no one will remember White Walls in 20 years. But at the beginning of the Mystery Night, we noted that Maribald refers to it. So clearly it is still remembered. Yeah, I wonder if 20 years later, if Sansa will still remember how sweet Robin stomped out her white castle. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great idea. I bet she will. Because <laughs> it, really, it really made her mad. And then yeah. Littlefinger kissed her right after it. So that's hard to forget because it was creepy. Yeah. yeah. You may want to forget it, but yeah, it may be hard to forget. Your quote about the small folk. Yeah. Also said by Varys... That's who I was thinking about. He talks about... um, To Ned, right? Yeah, to Ned. He says, why is it always the innocents who suffer most when you high lords play your Game of Thrones? Very similar to the Jorah quote, but there's another one um, that Septon Maribald says to Hyle Hunt when he said, it is being common born that is dangerous when the great lords play their Game of Thrones. So some very similar. No wonder I mashed them up. There's Yeah, they're they're, they're all kind of very similar with similar words of, Great lords and high lords and play the Game of Thrones. Yeah, really similar sentiment all the way around, though, and and very accurate, even to this. That day. last one is uh, closest to a thought I've had many times. That you know the idea that some people think that they're lucky or unlucky. Pretty much all the luck in your life is where and how you were born. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, like you know, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sets up the rest anyway. <laughs> Yeah. You aren't you aren't necessarily rooted in that, but yeah, it is. It determines a lot about what your opportunities and, and things are. Yeah, no doubt. No like doubt. I'm happy to be born in modern times with air conditioning. That's the <laughs> luckiest part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but think about how much luckier you could be if you were born. Probably this is the luckiest you could ever be born because the planet is dying. So probably you. <laughs> yeah, if you wait too much longer, yeah. Of, like technology <laughs> and we can live. So I think you're, you are very lucky, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky to live at a time where you have the most ever number of beverages to combine. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the past, Sean, you know, if he lived, let's say in the 1700s, he would have been like, okay, right here, we have a fine ale 
And right here, we have a different ale. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm going to combine them. <laughs> and a little bit I'd have been water. mixing goat's milk <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> You'd have been an alchemist, man. That's what you would have yeah. done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sean-chemist, not alchemist. Yeah. <laughs> the anecdote about the awful little kid with a beverage, and there's a beverage in this quote <laughs> as well, so it's all lining up nicely here. Lord Frey was seated in a camp chair with a cup of wine to hand and his hideous little heir squirming in his lap. Hideous. Lord Butterwell was there as well on his knees, pale-faced and shaking. It's like George really wants us to ma- notice who that is because it's not obvious. It's obvious once you think about it. It's like, oh, that's really the Walter Frey. But calling a little child hideous is a really like kind of stands out. Like, <laughs> like this kid's like four. But no, fair play. We know what he's going to do in his 90s and, and in between. So, you know, pretty hideous. Now, this is where the suspicion comes in. Okay, so Bloodraven, who is well known to be a guy big on punishments, he doesn't like mercy, especially to traitors. Uh, I know we've touched on this a little bit before, but let's get deeper into it. Butterwell, in front of everybody, he's like, calls him Roach, tells him, I believe only one, one in 10 of your words, strips his castle, tells him he can stay married, but like just all this insulting and stripping of power. Lord Frey, he's like, Drinking a cup of wine. He's like, I'll talk to you later, Lord Frey. He just says Lord. He doesn't even call him a name. Instead of calling him Roach or something, he actually calls him by his title. So it's very, very different. And these two are pretty much equal level conspirators. Maybe Butterwell's a little bit worse because it was his egg. But Frey showed up. He was as much a part of it as anyone and was preparing to bring his army. So unless Frey cut a deal or was in on it from the beginning, it's kind of hard to see it another way. Don't, would you agree with that, Sean? Or do you have a different take? Frey or? was the one that made the toast to Bloodraven. Yes. Also, yes. right? To the king's hand. When the, when the other toasts were to the king, they were kind of, you well, know. Well, he also uh, did the toast to the king. He did ambiguous. both, but yes, but he, yeah. It was ambiguous it was to ambiguous, the king, yes. but then specifically to Bloodraven, mm-hmm. even if I'm, you know, he was kind of towing the line at that moment. I, I, you know, Nina had a lot of thoughts on this, but it also occurred to me that, I, you know, whether or not Frey was in on this from the beginning or maybe somewhere in the midst of it unfolding, he got approached, approached by Blood Raven or realized that it was falling apart or uh, I, could, I could see a lot of ways. Or he had the, he had the uh, foresight yeah. to realize that Blood, Ra- Blood Raven would have spies there. He's like, well, you know, yeah. like, I'm not like, I'm yeah. not as dumb as these other guys or think that Blood Raven couldn't possibly know about any of this. <laughs> He's hedging his bets yeah. on some level, if not actively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. So yeah, we seems like we pretty well agree on that. Um, so the fact, the lack of punishment, the guy, the idea that these guys are the Red Wedding folks in the long run, the ones that cut a deal with the other side, it fits super well. It's not 100% certain, but the circumstantial evidence is maybe not quite to the level of Maynard Plum as Bloodraven. We don't have definitive proof of that, but it's really, really up there. Like, man, there sure is a lot of evidence for this. <laughs> And one take from Nina here, I'll read this. She says, notable that all of what Lord Frey does here seems right up to his future successor, Walder's Alley. Advantageous marriages that get rid of unwanted family members. Compare Lord Walder's comment to Catelyn that while when seeking out Edmure as a possible son-in-law, what I wanted was to get rid of a daughter. <laughs> this is what he says. And he's, but he's also supporting a political cause on the ground floor for a suitable price, right? If Rob had succeeded, Lord Walder would have had multiple marital connections to this Victoria Starks queen, daughter, granddaughter, great-granddaughter. It would have been like it's a ground floor on a, like the equivalent of buying stock in a corporation before it goes public. So you're, you get, you get big profits out of that, but be back out of it before 
the penalty happens for for being so bought in. So yeah, it's very, very similar. Gotta take all this into account and it lines up really nicely. I sort of downplayed the notion that Bloodraven would be okay with Damon being allowed to just be at court and hang out and be there as a, not an advisor, but just allowed to be around. And maybe I was too harsh on that possibility. Because again, it's not his call, even though he is not in charge, he's in charge in a way like people maybe exaggerate that he's truly the the guy ruling when it's Ares. I think that's overstated a bit, but it is somewhat true. Uh, And there's this line that suggests the possibility even from Bloodraven himself. Besides, such a noble captive will be an ornament to our court and a living testament to the mercy and benevolence of his grace, King Ares. And something you said before that I want to touch on again that I like a lot, just what it does for future stories. The, the idea that Damon's still alive, ah, you could have conversations with him or something. That would be really interesting, potentially. Mm, I would look forward to that. If it's, if it's on the menu, I kind of doubt that it is. But, <laughs> you know, there could be more, a little more, there could be a coda or a, or a postscript or epilogue to Damon's story. And it's also, it, it provides so many potentials, right? And there's so many ways it could play out. It's hard, to, it's hard for me to believe that Martin doesn't take advantage of one of them, whether he's literally in prison, but you would think, you know, kind of a royal prisoner. I think we've seen other characters, not always, like some characters who are imprisoned, imprisoned in one way or another, like Jamie, or are not treated particularly well, right? Yeah. Like on a dirt floor, smash in the face, hand cut off even, right? <laughs> but other prisoners are like Davos at one point, you know, different people are treated well as prisoners. So you can imagine, especially after years and years, maybe as a prisoner, that people are going to go visit him. And especially as different prophecies he's had start to come true, Blood Raven himself might realize I need to have more conversations with him. But it might not even be that negative, even. It might be more positive that he might be accepted into court because he was very charismatic. He was very yeah. honorable. You know, there's lots of things about him that. My, even if he doesn't win Blood Raven over, he might win a lot of other people over, and eventually Blood Raven has to concede to allowing him some more liberties. Or killing him. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just murdering him. him in prison. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe, maybe it does just kill him, uh, maybe in a way that is, is not so uh, apparently controversial. Yeah. But, uh, way, but, yeah. It, but you can see that the reality of how he's going to play out as a prisoner has a lot of potentials and the value of him being a character in a story is very great that the yeah. little insights yeah. he could get the conversations he could have do you think it's possible that dunk will meet damon again i i would i think so i, I hope so but okay. i i kind of i kind of think no but i hope so okay uh, like they'd have to go to court and he starts to still be alive and i'm not sure right now they're probably going north. So I don't know if they would get back to court before he's alive. One other reason they might keep him alive too is like Ares is really interested in these dragon dreams and prophecies. And it's like, well, this is a real dragon dreamer. So like, that's a resource, you know? Yeah. Um, by the way, I'm sure of it. I'm confident just by the oh. seventh book. Just wait and see. Yeah, I see. Mean, okay. yeah. <laughs> Try to prove me wrong. <laughs> by the seventh book. Good yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, doesn't like, he dies as late as 219. Yeah. So there's, there's a while there. Yeah. There is a while. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's a good seven whole years, seven plus years. I wonder too, does, like, does Bloodraven kind of hate Glendon Ball? I wonder about that because he's kind of irrational about Blackfire supporters and he really hates Fireball probably because Fireball turned on them and Fireball was like maybe a role model to him. He's the guy who trained him at arms initially. And Now, I'm making a few assumptions here, but 
it's just something that's possible. Does he does he dislike Glendon Ball or is he predisposed to dislike him? Because even after all this, he's still a guy that like espoused all this like hardcore loyalty to the Blackfires, which is Blood Raven is just not okay with that. On the other hand, he's not going against Egg's wishes. He's like, I want him freed. I want him rewarded. All this other stuff. Not that he needs rewarding. I mean, Glendon hooked up all those ransoms. He's sitting mm-hmm. pretty actually. Although I imagine maybe some of them some of those lords took that opportunity to take their stuff back when they threw them in prison. <laughs> I wonder if they did that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised yeah, at all. Possible. They just like looted him while he was uh, getting tortured. Like, that would make a lot of sense. That's the kind of petty thing they would do. Like, that one guy put holes in his armor before giving it to him. Like, geez, that is, that's very petty. Anyway. And think, you know, Glendon didn't have like an advocate. That, right? As far as I know, mm-hmm. he didn't have a squire. He didn't have someone looking out for his stuff or, yeah. yeah. Maybe as this all plays out he does get his stuff back or maybe even more stuff if some of these lords are executed or stripped of their possessions that's true but again it might depend on blood raven or or even egg yeah black tom's dead who gets that demon armor (laughs) and that big horse someone gets that big horse yeah (laughs) glendon would look pretty cool riding that thing (laughs) it'd be awesome if dunk got it yeah that dunk would be appropriate on that horse (laughs) he'd be really intimidating man he'd like not quite gregor size but it's up there right he'd be this this generation's gregor but the opposite disposition and personality you know, uh, I thought I had a few minutes ago that I, I forgot that I got back now is that mm. when we were talking about the the nature of the ending of the story, yeah, and it was a little abrupt. It, that's another uh, hmm, element of of uh, writing, I guess, that a, a lot of times in TV shows or books, series, when it ends and the next one starts, we've made a bit of a jump. So, you sure. know, it's yeah. usually like at least a day, maybe a month or even a year or more in a case between these Duncan Egg books. But sometimes you pick up right where you left off. Yeah. And I wonder if there's potential for that in this story, especially Mm. given how abruptly it ended, that maybe the next story does pick up still in the wake of this moment. And we get, whether it's like what loot Glendon Ball gets after all, or maybe even some Mm. sort of, I don't know how to say this, like learning moment that Blood Raven has. And maybe he realizes how unfairly, uh, like he maybe relates to how unfairly was treated as a bastard because he knows how people think of him and maybe that uh, is an opportunity for a shifting of opinion that he has. I could see a lot of very interesting things coming in literally the next one hour after (laughs) you leave this story (laughs) that could set up a lot of more future stuff. I could also see Martin skipping a whole year ahead here in Winterfell, you know. I'm going to guess, I would guess the latter, but I can see what you're saying. It's a possibility for sure. Uh, And even in a skip ahead, it's still easy for people to reflect back on this moment yeah. to reveal to us what Glendon got. A couple or of flashbacks. Dunk has his or, horse now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like if Which they have the horse, it's pretty obvious what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like remember Dunk's dream about Dorne. There's yeah, all kinds of ways for Martin to fill in some details, even if he makes a big jump forward. True that. Good said. Here is um, a great moment when Blood Raven is uh, telling Dunk how he should treat Egg, and they have a nice exchange. You ought to beat that out of him. I've tried, my lord. He's a prince, though. What he is, said Blood Raven, is a dragon. Rise, sir. So this is funny because Blood Raven is now confronted with the information that Egg just stone cold bluffed Butterwell into thinking as an agent. He was an agent, as implausible as it is. He tried it and it worked even better, even though Blood Raven maybe doesn't hear this part. Egg tells Dunk earlier that he learned the trick fl- from Bloodraven indirectly. Quote, 
I knew I was in trouble when the maester showed Lord Butterwell my ring. I thought about saying that I had stolen it, but I didn't think he would believe me. Then I remembered this one time I heard my father talking about something Lord Bloodraven said, about how it was better to be frightening than frightened. So I told him that my father had sent us here to spy for him, and that he was on his way here with an army, that his lordship had best release me and give up this treason, or it would mean his head. He smiled a shy smile. It worked better than I thought it would, sir. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, too, right? What was Makar talking to Blood Raven about? Yeah. What were they talking? See, it's mm-hmm. another another thing that, uh, another maybe a small piece of evidence that Makar didn't actually hate Blood Raven. He hated that Blood Raven got the job, but he didn't hate him. But, you know, he did eventually employ him as his hand as well. So uh, something has to explain that. And, but that's, but more relevantly, probably, is this, it shows. Sets up Blood Raven realizing what kind of a kid Egg is. He's like, he is a dragon. Like, he knew they knew each other before, but Egg was so young. He probably didn't have much reason to pay much attention to him. He was probably so young that it didn't even matter. So, this is like an eye opening moment for Blood Raven. Like, this, this prince has got some courage. He's um, a little interesting, isn't he? A little, little up and comer here. Oh, he's more clever than some of the others and not a drunken sot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's seen the same boldness and cleverness that Dunk sees. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting to think about what's going to happen later. You know, Blood Raven's going to preside over the Great Council that chooses Egg for the throne in 233 after Makar is killed in the Peak Uprising. But yeah, I think that's a great thing to point out that yeah. Blood Raven, you know, chooses him and that he, likely Blood Raven will have experienced other cool things that Egg has done in this interim time. Because, for example, Duncan Egg in the Riverlands, yeah. Blackwoods and Brackens, that's going to be pretty relevant to Blood Raven. The third Blackfire Rebellion, perhaps biggest of all, because apparently they're both big a big deal in the third Blackfire and yeah, do like do uh, important deeds. Especially Egg is noted particularly, and that also Nina points out that might be where Glendon Ball shores up his loyalty if he fights for the Loyalists and doesn't fight for the Blackfires, then that would settle the issue of whose side he's really on. And that would kind of open the door for him to join the Kingsguard later. Because Blood Raven might be like, nah, no Kingsguard for him. This guy was a Blackfire. But if he fights against the Blackfires, that would put that to bed. So I like that as a prediction. It works pretty well as far as like how we can get from point A to point B. Obviously, there's plenty of other details that would happen in between there, but those, those high points could easily be hit. I like that too. One thing I wanted to add is the egg that was stolen. We're talking about how it was stolen and all that. This egg, probably one of the ones destroyed at Summer Hall. It's a cool looking egg too. Red with black on it. I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, it is a black fire colored egg. It's, <laughs> it's the red with a little bit of black. If it was black with a little bit of red, well, that would be Drogon. <laughs> That's what Drogon's egg looked like. So that one wouldn't have been destroyed, but this is the opposite. You know, I did have another thought. It's slightly disconnected from this particular idea, but just re- revolving around the dragon egg. Remember we talked about uh, Uthor, Uthor Underleaf, uh, the idea that he didn't want to win this tournament, you know, that would like kind of ruin his, his business model, if you will. Yeah. But I, I, I was thinking about that, like how much is his business model worth? It can't be worth more than a dragon egg. You know what I mean? Like you can just retire. You don't need to like yeah. go around making these bets and feigning these losses if you win a dragon egg. But it made me wonder a couple things. One, if maybe he was more keen to what was really going on here. Uh, maybe. And yeah. it's is is he could just lose and get his money and go home and have plausible deniability about any of it. Whereas if he wins his dragon egg, he's going to get more tied up. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think you might... Somewhat, you weigh a sure thing versus a gamble. 
And he's not assured of winning Dragon Egg, whereas he can be assured of making money through gambling. Right, but like say he makes all the gambles, say he does everything like normal, but then wins the Dragon Egg. Well, 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 that would mean he wins on purpose. How's he going to win on purpose? If he's trying to lose, that's not going to happen, right? I guess that's true. But if he's can gauge, like it seemed like Ball, who is way less experienced than Underleaf, could gauge how not good yeah, Damon was. that's true. Right? Like, Underly should have been able to gauge this. Now, maybe he knows he can't beat Black Tom or something else. I don't that's know. That's a fair but, point. Like, he wouldn't, he wasn't expecting to get to the finals and be facing a, an idiot, you know? So he he probably yeah. wasn't, like, he wasn't acknowledging that possibility. Fair point, you know? Uh, idiot. I'm sorry, but what's shade on Damon the second? <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, like, out of nowhere. Idiot. Ball said, I couldn't lose to him if I tried. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. And then he did lose to him, having been beaten, tortured, and fingernails ripped out his throat beat him easily beat him that makes you a bad fighter okay yeah anyway. I guess I I'm putting my I'm, I'm putting words in Uthor's mouth he was real <laughs> he, that's the kind of thing he would say <laughs> my other thought though was that it was interesting however much he might have understood about the plot or his odds of winning or whatever it's just still the idea he wasn't even thinking about it it, it didn't seem and it's something it's just like a part of the human nature I guess that a lot of times we're more comfortable continuing to do with what we're good at. Yeah. yeah, then, yeah. And then something that might even be better, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, and, and it's just an interesting, interesting observation. I think sure. the idea that he would rather continue with this life that he's molded for himself rather than when, uh, he, rather than secure something is probably way more. He valuable. may not actually know what it's worth. That's possible. Um, and it's also possible they're not, yeah, the values change. I'm not sure. The value may have changed. I don't know. It does it's also seem possible. He's way wealthier than we realized, too. Yeah, if all the winnings rich. have been well invested over time. Yeah, that's yeah, there's a certain level where you're like, he enjoys it. Yeah. It's his He job. might also it's be taxed career. on it. Who knows how taxes work, about but I can stolen. imagine. Yeah, I, I mean, if I got from, a dragon egg, yeah. I'd probably just relocate to the free city somewhere and sell my egg and, you know, go to the pleasure houses or, I don't know, <laughs> retire. I wouldn't I'd probably accept lesser. some ransom. Like, can I just get like 10,000 gold dragons and you keep the egg and just give me some money? And yeah. So how, as far as how the egg was stolen, Blood Raven isn't, doesn't fully say what happened. He's kind of cagey about it, but he clearly isn't like concerned that people know. It kind of enhances his reputation, showing just how easily he took this whole thing down without having to fire an arrow or draw a sword or whatever. He knew how to hit them where it hurts, right? The loss of the egg caused the awkward accusation of Glendon. The, the whole house of cards came collapsing down. But let's look at some of the evidence with the dwarves. George writes it in a certain way that sets this up nicely. Here's the quote from when Dunk encounters the dwarves well before the end here. This is uh, about halfway through the story. There were six of them he saw, each smaller and malformed than the last. A few might have been children, but they were all so short that it was hard to tell. In daylight, dressed in horsehide breeches and rust-bun hooded cloaks, they seemed less jolly than they had in Motley. Good morrow to you, Dunk said, to be courteous. Are you for the road? There's clouds to the east. Could mean rain. The only answer that he got was a glare from the ugliest dwarf. Was he the one I pulled off Lady Butterwell last night? Up close, the little man smelled like a privy. One whiff was enough to make Dunk hasten his steps. Pretty easy to skip that line over first time through, but privy. Yeah, just like there's very specific. <laughs> it smelled like a privy because he was in one. He was literally in a privy. That's why he smells like one. Notice the mention of children there. That's another thing it's set up. He's like, oh, a few might have been children. And then Blood Raven says, oh, you know, someone like a child could have gone up through the shaft. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. So here's that line. Um, when, when Tyrion 
thinking of Tyrion and Land the Clever squeezing into Casterly Rock and all that, which might be, we might see parallels to that. I, this was Egg asking. Yeah, Egg I wants think, to know. Right? Yeah, he wanted to know uh, how it happened. Who took the dragon's egg? There were guards at the door and more guards at the steps. No way anyone could have gotten into Lord Betterwell's blood bedchamber unobserved. Lord Rivers smiled. Were I to guess, I'd say someone climbed up inside the privy shaft. The privy shaft was too small to climb. For a man, a child could do it. Or a dwarf. Don't blurt it out. A thousand eyes in one. Why shouldn't some of them belong to a troop of comic dwarfs? <laughs> so I like to think that since this is a child could do it, then Egg could have done it. Egg could have stolen the egg, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he's too big, but, you know. <laughs> it would have been fun if Egg stole the egg, but no. Uh, so... It's also a, maybe a little similar, uh, at least a reminder of what happens with Tyrion and Jorah at the slave auction when he tells Nurse that Jorah is part of the show. Like, Bear and the Maiden Fair is like, we need him. He's the bear. And because the reason this comes up is Dunk thinks about joining their troop. Like, not, not seriously, but kind of ruefully. Like, that would be a funny sight. Six dwarves pummeling a giant with pig bladders, which... Uh, when Tyrion describes, he says, the bear and the maiden fair. Jorah's the bear. Penny is the maiden. I'm the brave knight who rescues her. I dance about and hit them in the balls. Very funny. <laughs> so it's just, it's just that was also boring. right after Dunk had lost and, and lost his arms and his horse and everything. So yeah. he, it, it might have been a more serious consideration right. than you realize. Yeah, you're right. It was kind of serious, but he was like, I guess I could do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's like, he's kind of, you're right. He's a little desperate. Um, So... <laughs> So that last section there is, is a lot of implications, like the implication that Maynard was Bloodraven, the implication that the dragon that hatched was really Egg, the implication of the ring, implication of all these other things. Really a, a series of implications here at the end. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to have all of the romantic implications that Damon dropped on Dunk throughout the whole time. Nina compiled this a while ago, and I saved it for right now. Romantic implications. Now, I was waiting for the, the sunny reference. Yeah, it's not romantic. Now you got it. I would love to cross swords with you, Sarah. I've tried men of many lands and races, but never won your side. Oh, man. So he's promiscuous, <laughs> <but> clearly. <laughs> Sean, go ahead. Perchance we'll meet again someday. I hope so. I should love to try my lance on you. <laughs> Whoa, that's so blatant. Uh, Hurry back, sir, said the fiddler. There are jugglers yet to come, and you do not want to miss the betting. <laughs> that's where we were going, Egg and me, up north to Winterfell. Would that I could join you. You could show me the way. <laughs> if you stay on the road and keep going north, you can't miss it, the fiddler laughed. I suppose not, though you might be surprised at what some men can miss. <laughs> I dreamed that you were all in white from head to heel with a long, pale cloak flowing from those broad shoulders. You are a white sword, sir, a sworn brother of the King's Guard, the greatest knight in all the Seven Kingdoms, and you've lived for no other purpose but to guard and serve and please your king. Please your king? <laughs> that I didn't know that was part of the vows. Guard and serve are definitely in there. I don't know about please, though. Is that really part of the King's Guard vows? <laughs> Uh, Dunk shrugged away the lordling's hand, which had begun to knead his shoulder. Yeah, like, what? who does that? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that was, to me, the, the clearest implication yeah, that Dunk was not having him. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next one. You'd look a god in white. I think, 
But if the color does not suit you, perhaps you would prefer to be a lord. This made me think of when Bra- when Bree I said Bramie for a second. Bramie, yeah, well. <laughs> Their ship name made me think of when Brienne is describing Jamie and she says he's looking half a corpse and half a god. <laughs> you know, people who, who are attracted to others. There's, uh, I suppose that means I'll have to take the throne then. I would much rather be teaching you to fiddle. <laughs> to my bed, to sleep, I'm drunk as a dog. Be my oh, dog, Sarah. The night's alive with promise. We can howl together and wake the very gods. Howl together. Oof. <laughs> and, and Nina writes, there's a, uh, a historical reference there, potentially, if not uh, intentional, then it certainly works unintentionally. She says, George Villiers, the Duke of Buckingham, or Villiers, I don't know how to say that, Probably Villiers since Villiers would be French and this is the Duke of Buckingham. Anyway, and almost certainly the lover of James the sixth and first who signed a letter to the king as your majesty's humble slave and dog. Yeah, okay. Uh, Here's one. What do you want of me? Your sword. I would make you mine own man and raise you high. (laughs) Your sword. I want your sword, all right. (laughs) You are jousting on the morrow, pray recall. Kirby Pym can prove a dangerous foe. I had hoped to joust with good Sir Duncan here. <laughs> and then, uh, wine makes me talk too much, but I meant every word. We belong together, you and I. My dreams do not lie. Ooh, that one, that one rhymes even. That's that why we intense. I'm coming on a little strong there. Yeah, just we over and over together. and over. Yeah, you'd be you surprised what some men could miss. date. <laughs> well, I guess the roof maybe was the date. Yeah, he was trying to give him roofies. Hey, oh. Fiddler on the roof. That roof was full of jokes. I love, and of course, the best being, what are you doing here in my bedroom? <laughs> that's such a funny joke. I love that. We have like the awkward uh, Darth Vader in the third prequel movie where he's like, where Padme dies. Spoiler. Here's the quote. <laughs> No, he heard Lord Pete cry out in anguish. No! <laughs> so, <laughs> I think George is having some fun there. Like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and then will definitely in the, in the movie, he'll fall to his knees, platoon style. Yeah, no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sir Glendon's fingers. They're, they're tower. He has Tower of Joy fingers. Seven against three. Three of them lost their fingernails. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Also, when, uh, here's another funny moment. When Egg, or when Bloodraven is confronting uh, Egg and Dunk about what happened. Well, here we go. No, my lord. I mean, yes, my lord. That's what Egg told him, Aegon. I mean, Prince Aegon. So that part's true. It, it isn't what you'd call the true truth, though. <laughs> I see. So the two of you learned of this conspiracy against the crown and decided you would thwart it by yourselves. Is that the way of it? That's not it either. We just sort of blundered into it, I suppose you'd say. Egg crossed his arms. And Sir Duncan and I had matters well in hand before you turned up with your army. That is so like out of Scooby-Doo, like, and I would have worked too if it weren't for these meddling kids. Of course, this time Egg and Dunk are the meddling kids. It's also like real Harry Potter-esque. Is it? Yeah. The main characters every year, they like blunder into some conspiracy that's (laughs) happening and save the day. (laughs) That's fun. Also, to add a few more funny moments here, this ebook copy 
that we have. Now, we have the Seven Kingdoms, the Night of Seven Kingdoms book. We have multiple copies of that. But we have an e-copy that's got a few weird misspellings in it. Maynard Plume is the name in one spot. Uthor Unklerleaf instead of Underleaf. Unklerleaf. So he's uncle... He's your uncle that sells you weed, I guess. <laughs> Black Tony instead of Black Tom. It was like Tony, Tony, Tony. With an I. Yeah, with an I. T-O-N-I, yeah. So instead of Tom, it's just, yeah, just the way the letters are formed. And the Backfire Rebellion. It's, that's really relevant. <laughs> that is that's really accurate. on... That's on the nose. That's a Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Freudian type, yeah. <laughs> For Freudian print, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. So... You know, there was another uh, point that Nina made. Uh, yeah, go for There it. was a story, oh, I think it was Calvin Coolidge, who was known for being, I don't know, reserved, I guess, uh, and witty maybe, but he, someone had made a bet that she could get him to say at least three words hmm. in conversation with him. And he replied... You lose. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like when Doug said, you lie. That's two words. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say a third one. And that's it. <laughs> you yeah. lose. That is great. Yeah, that is really good. Dunk thinks that Egg's hair would look like Damon's if he ever let it grow like that. And of course he will. In fact, Nina points out, George describes the Targaryen kings to the artist Amok. The, the notes that George gave to the artist have been made public over the years. So we got direct, direct directions from George on how these characters should look, which is, that's, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, so, so to speak. And he said in his description was having hair for egg, was having hair falling to his collar. So in fact, he, it is not only going to grow, it's going to grow to that length. So that's very cool. Makes me kind of sad. You know, by the way, yeah, I, uh, I I don't know. Just the idea of egg growing up, you know, he's uh, adult yeah. with his long yeah. blonde hair, and Dunk's gonna like experience that. I don't know. Yeah. You have a certain image of him. You don't yeah, want to lose wanna, it. I don't want to see him grow up. Yeah, really. It's the also, opposite his hair of is uh, burn away. It's the opposite of Samson. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it'll burn away. True. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, that'll be the last thing. <laughs> Damn, nice, nice that's, one to share. That's the first thing that goes probably. Yeah, you're right. The first thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, unless this it's all, the TV show. This talk reminds me of something. By the way, I, at what point is Dunk described as having long hair? Because the really first on, time, I think the first time I, you know, quote unquote, read this was actually the audio book. Yeah. And so I didn't have a visual image because the, the actual book has, you know, illustrations and Dunk has, you know, kind of relatively long shoulder length hair in those illustrations. But I never had a picture of him as having long hair. And so I'm wondering if there's some evidence, some line I missed or some some just some outside the book statement that George made. And I was even reinforced with my thought of him not really having long hair when uh, Underleaf told him, you should grow your hair out. The, the wilder, the longer, the better, you he know? So typically had a line that I cited um, earlier, which is where he has a thick mass of sun-streaked hair. Yeah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's long down to his shoulders. You could still have a mass well, of think hair about it this that way. isn't long. Think about it this you know? way. I think what Underleaf was saying is he wants it to be really long, really crazy long, really yeah, wild, yeah. which it's not. But here's the thing. There's no scissors. Like, these guys, he's a hedge knight. You know what I'm saying? Like, he takes a bath True. once a month. Like, yeah, when's he getting yeah. his haircut? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. There's no way he has a, a short haircut. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think he's shaving his he, head, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, That is true that he's shaving his head. But I that, think it's I more think likely... I think there are scissors the more I think about it. No, I mean, he doesn't have them, though. 
Oh, he might not have him. Yeah, they would have more a than his post. shoulder. Is kind of what I, I mm. guessed. And yeah, a lot yeah. of uh, the art seems to show that as well. Of a, a, I've his... come to accept it, but <laughs> for a long, for like a year at least, I think I was in my mind he didn't have long. I'm in hairs. the opposite page. Was like I've seen people, uh, you know, depict him with short hair occasionally or fan cast him, and I'm just like I can't possibly see this as dunk. He doesn't have like this these brown blonde locks that I imagine. Yeah, he's kind of like a, a heartthrob would in the 90s kind of thing. Like that kind <laughs> of hair is what I picture, to be honest. The new kids on the dunk. And Duncan New DiCaprio? dunks on the block? No, who's big like dunk? No one. <laughs> no one, yeah. No one's big like dunk. It's impossible. Uh, so the question from uh, Lord Commander Namian Darkland, is there a chance Bloodraven had stand-ins at court? How else could the most famous man in the kingdom be away from King's Landing on these sneaky missions and not be known that the Hand isn't at court? Uh, you know, the Hand has reasons to leave, go to, you know, going to, uh, going out on missions. I think he, mostly he's the second in command. No one's going to be able to be like, where have you been? You I know, especially be not a bookish king. Huh? They'd be cognizant, I would think, of it. Not necessarily. If he just says he's leaving, like, they wouldn't necessarily know. They'd be like, where is he? He's like, oh, he's not here. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a thing that people there at White Walls would know is what Bloodraven is not at court. But they, Whether yeah. they guess anything. I mean, clearly, they didn't really think he was there, but... I think the point is accurate. They would know he's not at court. I don't think you yeah. would need a stand-in. But I don't. that doesn't mean they would know where he is or, yes. you know, so... But it's true. Yeah, I don't. I don't think a stand is necessary. Having the hand be away is is normal enough. Depends on how you define stand in. Also, I mean, it, it would make sense that there so, would be yeah. some sort of I don't a know what phrase used. Yeah. Like, Just, yeah, subordinate secretary or yeah. you know Second advisor command, or someone. Command, yeah. yeah, someone's got to run. Things. A Blood Raven probably has multiple squires. Probably a senior squire. There's the rest of the small you know? council. Yeah, I like mean, the there's Raven's, plenty of other. People. Yeah, there's the Raven's mouth. The Raven's beak, the Raven's <laughs> eyes, the Raven's wings. Yeah, Blood Raven could probably Raven's go toe to toe on Bird Law with you. <laughs> yeah. He definitely could. That's true. See, if he, that's that's he missed his calling. If he, he's hand of the king, he should have been master of laws, master Bird Law. His calling. His calling. That's great. <laughs> Dornish Dame says the mud makes me think of Quentin. She wants fire, and Dorn sent her mud. Oh yeah, it's Barristan's thinking of how. You know, it might have worked better for the, this this marriage opportunity if Quentin was not so plain looking. <laughs> a little more charismatic. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, Joe Magician. Hey, what's up, Joe Magician? My friend Joe hanging out. Uh, good to see you in the chat. Ag he says, Aegon burning to death. No, not my hair. Dunk loved my hair. Ooh, <laughs> damn, Joe. That's rough, but good. Good call. Way to get yeah. dark. Yeah, that's a good one. Catelyn's last thoughts there. Oof, man. Sheristice Star says, I think the abrupt ending is indicative of the mystery genre where the protag gets a quippy, humorous, or insightful one-liner exit omnis defined as used as a stage direction to indicate that all the characters leave the stage. Oh, okay. That's cool. Bringing in a little theater knowledge there, mystery and theater yeah, knowledge. That's cool. I don't think any of us three are into the mystery genre or familiar not with really. it. I don't know how many mystery films you feel like you've seen, Sean. It's not a genre I tend to watch. So tropes to do with it, I would definitely miss. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. And this is a mystery. That's true. The mystery. I, I haven't really <laughs> considered mystery as a genre, but I, I guess it is. Oh, it is. It it's a, yeah, it's yeah. one of the major, the most major genres, yeah. the classic ones yeah. there, there are, in my That's opinion. Good, I, not, not in my opinion. In fact, I think. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's reflected by the the fact that um, amongst podcasts, the most popular podcast genre is true crime. 
which yeah. is very similar because true crimes yeah, that's a very much yeah, are yeah. real world mysteries yeah. a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't mean to question it as a genre. I just don't think of right, it. Right. When I think of genres, I think of comedy, action, sci-fi, mystery doesn't occur to me. I so, huh? Like mystery, there are a lot of mystery TV shows and movies, but far more often there are mystery books. I think that it's yeah. a, a more mm, prevalent yeah. in that in, in literature. I think the genre is probably not as popular as it used to be yeah, as a that's standalone. I think it's now more of a more of a less defined category and more of like a it's part of a category but yeah, like you think mystery like is part of other things agatha christie I'm or sure you know party boys yeah on. party boys are, right yeah, yeah. oh yeah there's definitely yeah. yeah mystery maybe is another one too that could be mashed with a lot of other genres yeah that's what i was trying to say yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah virtually with like sci- like sci-fi mystery, like the expanse season one there's a detective mystery kind of woven into it right like that's a big part yeah. of like film noir style Season two slash book two. It's entirely different. Yeah. But anyway, we're off topic. That's a very good uh, comment there. Thanks for that, Shiera. Julie A with another rhyme. Copper and walnut guard me fierce so his steel doesn't pierce. <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. good. Pretty good. <laughs> we have a note from our good friend Rudy who said more mystery books sell than maybe all adult fiction combined. Now, Rudy and, works at a bookstore. His parents have owned a bookstore his whole life, so he would know. <laughs> and he's, he's been involved in a various aspects of book selling throughout his life in certain ways. So uh, he's a good source on that. So I believe him right on. As far as trials and contrived trials, as far as upbringing, Dornish James says, we see this a bit in the main series with Young Griff going through all these trials and it being contrived in comparison to what John and Danny, for example, endure. Yes, this is a microcosm of that. The fake trials for Damon to prove he's worthy as compared to Young Griff. Oh, he's learned to be in fear and fish and, you know, mend nets and do all these common person stuff. But we've sort of talked back against that notion because, yeah, he he's done all these things, but he's always known... All, all alongside that, he's a king. <laughs> like he's also now been protected, even even while he's been living like that way. Whereas so, yeah. Danny and John have actually faced these real fears and supernatural monsters and things like that. And of course, here we have Damon versus Egg, who are both experiencing, you know, the counterpoint exactly Very like true. Young Griff and John and Danny. That's a really good take. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because Egg is out here living like a hedge knight. He's really experiencing what the world is like, which is very similar to Danny being out in the world, being chased around, being hunted. Not so many travails and trials for Egg, but still a yeah. lot, but not so rough. Egg isn't sold into slavery or, you know, raped by a warlord, or, you know, or, or anything like that. Or abused lightly by his stepmother, so to speak. Yeah, although he did experience a- abuse by his brother. You're right. You are right. Egg has had to go through that. Having a that's dagger a held point. up to his privates and things yeah. like that. That's 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 big. Uh, that's super major. That's, that's, that may that's I think worse than what John went through with Catelyn. Yes. Yeah, Catelyn didn't like physically torture him. Yeah, yeah I mean hers so. was, you know, it was mental abuse, but I mean, even that sort of mental abuse, I don't think it was as significant as doesn't though sound like John, it. Though John no. John would have gone through it for many more years. Yeah. That, you know, it got however out. bad something is, the time you go through it is another factor. That's a good so. point. Yeah, that's a good point. Very true. So these are really good connections, y'all. Very good parallels. Very good uh, noticing of common themes throughout the story. Things that George liked to draw our attention to. Uh, last point here. This is an interesting take from Nina. What's interesting about it, the, the take is solid, but what's interesting from my perspective is I couldn't decide where to put it. I, I think it 
works in a lot of spots to talk about this, but I decided to put it at the end because recently I've been thinking about A Song of Ice and Fire as a whole. And one criticism I've seen of it is that it's a little bleak in terms of showing functional relationships. There's not a lot of portrayals of quality relationships. The ones that are good don't last. <laughs> and a lot of the other ones are dysfunctional or not very good. And that's, that's an authorial choice. Nothing wrong with that. But it, some people could say like, man, I wish there were some, at least a couple of like really good friendships that we could really s- lean on more. Duncan Egg does that, right? That's where we have that. That's, this is something that Duncan Egg provides that maybe A Song of Ice and Fire has less of, even though this is a much smaller story. It's much stronger in its portrayal of a really healthy relationship uh, between two people from different backgrounds, different ages, Anina writes, I love the reunion of Dunk and Egg. It really shows how close the two of them have become over the course of, of a year or two. Dunk is the sort of big brother Egg never had, not an alcoholic coward like Daron, nor a sadist like Arian, nor even good-natured but unmartial like Eamon. Yeah, Eamon's a good person, but he's very different than Dunk. Good point. Um, while Egg is the little brother, Dunk certainly never had. For all of Dunk's mostly empty threats of clouts in the ear, and for all of Egg's mocking of Dunk's non-aristocratic background, these two really care about each other. And it's nice to see that. It's nice to see George write that well. And it gives a sense of, I don't know, it's a sense of happiness, a sense of joy that maybe A Song of Ice and Fire doesn't have as much of because it's, it's so dark so, so often, so good, so awesome, so amazing. But yeah, it's a fair... Uh, thing, the point that Duncan Egg has that maybe A Song of Ice and Fire doesn't. What do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I like that. I'd, 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 my mind is spinning on the nature of all the different relationships in a character. It's, a, it's another, like, uh, aside from relationships, it's hard. There, there are only a few, as expansive and as many characters as this story has, there are only a few real good guys. There's a, a, even a lot of protagonistic characters and popular characters still have like these questionable elements, Ned or Caitlin or Danny or whoever. And so when, when it's hard to even find very many good characters, have them interact well with each other is even more rare, right? Yeah. So it is a, a really good point that uh, Duncan Egg are two good characters that interact well with each other. It, it is kind of a sweet spot in the whole story. Yeah, I mean, like we had a really good relationship early on, Ned and Catelyn. That was a really good relationship, but it just didn't get to last, right? They were separated really quickly, then they both died. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, but also I think part of what George is saying is it's hard to have really good functional relationships when there's so much power in the balance between these things. Like it's hard for people with such great power when their relationships depend on who they're connected to, to have normal, healthy relationships, you know, and we got kings and queens and princes and princesses and politics and and ins and outs like that. Yeah, like that would mess up relationships a lot. Like how even to be fair, uh, it's a very different uh, picture, even if it's a healthy relationship, it looks different than a this kind of relationship or whatever. Power and responsibility. To be fair. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. The thing is, a lot of them aren't very responsible with their power. You're right, but <laughs> the portrayals are often yeah, irresponsible. Yeah. But, but, but even he's showing, if someone is, he's showing what responsible yeah. should be. He's like, see these yeah. failures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, point. Well, point. A lot of times when you have, I don't know how to say this, big responsibilities to like a large number of people or to some entity, you know, if you're the, the lord of some land or the president of some company or whatever it is, it's, it's going to put a strain on your personal relationships with your, you know, I don't know, your parents or your children or whatever, when you have to, you know, it's understandable to me that someone sacrifices some of their quote unquote personal life 
if you have a bunch of employees and they all have their own families and their rents and their mortgages, they kind of count on you to lead a company to make sure they keep getting paid, their livelihoods are secure. And so you may sacrifice some of your familial relationships so that scores of other people can maintain theirs. And that might be understandable, Mm -hmm. but still tough, you know? Yeah, you're right. That's a a great point or a a well point. A good set Mm -hmm. for sure. Good way to hit our outro here. Now, Joe Magician also sends a super chat, says Damon's seduction backfired on him. A-O with a Y backfired. Yes, it did. <laughs> Good one. See, that's why you should check out Joe Magician's channel. He's also got some pretty strong pun game in addition to his excellent the Song of Ice and Fire takes. And his Dying of the Light takes. I did uh, some guest spots on his show to talk about George's book, Dying of the Light, which Joe is doing a read-through of. So check yeah. that out. And then you have plans to do another episode with him in this break. That's true. We are going to do a stream together. We've had planned for a while. Um, we're going to try to nail that down soon. Some talk about wildfire dreams relating to Dunkin' Eggs. So, and Aries, the first and the second. So that'll be fun. We uh, will announce that when it's time. Also, next week, we'll have our wrap-up. As I alluded to at the beginning, our guest will be Stefan Sasa of Boiled Leather Audio Hour, one of the very few A Song of Ice and Fire podcast in existence that is about the same age as us. Very few have been around as long as we have. They're one of them. There you go. That's going to be cool. We've done a little bit with Stefan before. I've been on their show as well, so that's going to be very cool. And we'll have Sean. You'll be returning next week as well. Is that right? Yep. Cool. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I'm I'm, uh, uh, reluctant to finish this up, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. It's Uh, tough to say goodbye. I was talking to Aziz about World World of Ice and Fire and how we wanted to do that with you. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah. How much you'll be involved in that. You'll have an interesting perspective. I would very much agree with the share on that. It'd be cool to have you on, at least for some of it, if not more than some. I would love to. Cool. Uh, I was even thinking, by the way, when we were covering the show, that that was, you know, t- 10 episodes of the show, and we maybe would have one or at the beginning and end, you know, a, a preview and a, a wrap up, which is 12. And that's what we just now did. And I guess we're going to have one more next week. But yeah. yeah. It's good to get all this in. Yeah, right? It's great. I'm so happy we got to do this and I appreciate all your great takes. So everybody, we'll be back next week. More thanks need to be issued though. I'm not done with the thanks. (laughs) Are you going to grab a cat, Sean? I shall. Certainly thank you and the cat for that. Also, uh, thanks to Ashea for managing everything behind the scenes. I like how you said my name, Ashea. Ashea! (laughs) And Nina as well. (laughs) We got to extend those. When you have an A at the end of your name, you really just have an opportunity to really extend it. Yeah. Thanks to the mods of our Facebook group. You guys are awesome. Thanks to our contributors on our other sites like Flick and Facebook and Slack and Discord and those people I interact with on Twitter. Y'all are MVPs. We have so much fun chatting about this awesome world, being part of this awesome community. And well, we're not slowing down. We may have reached another milestone of sorts, but that just means we're on to the next one. Oh, looks like we've got toffee. If I, if I can tell, yes. Uh, it's coming in. Sean hasn't sat down yet, but <laughs> on screen. Also, thanks to uh, Joey Townsend and Jesse Koval for the music and Claire Dox for the maps and Michael and uh, Kevin McLeod for the Valor Vitas music. And uh, if only they knew 
how they've inspired cats to join. <laughs> ah, Princess Kenya says, one more shout out to the friggin' Italian sends a super chat. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Princess Canius, for that. Friggin' Italian did found the show. He unfortunately did pass years ago, but he uh, was, the, he's the reason we're here, you know? So gotta always remember that. And something caused a shade of laughter. <laughs> that was awkward timing. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible timing, but still, I guess it's the cat. Yeah, Sean. Yeah. The cat just kind of like slid out of his arms, like, <laughs> you know, melted out. I, I brought Tuff in and she was being real lovey, but wanted to get out of my arms. But all three of the cats are now surrounding me. The, my camera shakes because Jed is so far right up against like the computer. Jet is the most amenable to being on camera. <laughs> to being held in general, yeah. <laughs> so everyone, if you have thoughts for the wrap up, definitely send them our way in any of the different places you can contact us feel free to choose the one you like best and you might get your take read aloud on the show if not keep on listening we'll keep them coming and keep on reading you know what i mean valar reread us and go join here be dragons talking about why canon matters and why it doesn't. Yeah, definitely, as usual, check out our friends Here Be Dragons. I neglected to include them myself, but Ashay's got my back and their back. So yeah, check out Here Be Dragons. And real quick, Sean now has Cora, Cora in his arms. <laughs> she is so pretty. <laughs> so yeah. on that note, oh. I think we can say Valar, we read it. <laughs> <laughs>